Hey Squares, thanks for joining us today on Square Waves FM. Today's episode is episode 33, Hobby Game Design. With I'm uh, Bianca, and for some reason I'm being I'm the one introducing stuff today, and your your host is also Brian. And with us we have a guest, Anton. Anton, say hi to the nice people. Hi to the nice people. <laughs> <laughs> Hello to you too. Hey Bianca, thanks. Good job. Thanks. I guess I'm your co-host today. Okay, that's good, I guess. <laughs> that is good. Uh, hi, everybody. Real good to talk to you. Always a pleasure to have you listening to us. Um, uh, uh, yeah, we're really, really happy to have uh, Anton uh, with us uh, today. Aww. Anton, it's your first podcast that you've been on, yeah? It is. You're taking my podcast virginity. Oh, we're... We still pop the cherry. <laughs> we're, we're gently unbuckling your podcast ditty belt. <laughs> <laughs> that's all good. Real glad that's to have you on. the key. Oh, it's <laughs> so romantic. Um, I was wondering, Anton, if you would tell us a little bit, perhaps, about uh, your gaming history. How did you get into playing video games? Um, jeez. What was your... Back when I was, like, I don't know, four, mm-hmm. maybe? My parents had got a Tandy 1000EX computer. Nice. And uh, that's one of my, actually, very first memories was uh, just typing away at it. In MS DOS, hmm. and uh, yeah, so I just started growing up on a bunch of DOS games. Um, my dad had these cool little CDs. Um, I still got a couple. They were compilations of programs of all sorts, mm-hmm. and I would always delve deep into uh-huh. the games folder and play all those awesome ASCII games and real low quality kind of adventure games and stuff. And, Oh, that's great. Were they like shareware games, sort of, or you got like the yeah? It was first all bit for free? it was all shareware stuff. You could it had like a ton of stuff: games, word processors, um, scientific stuff. And so, yeah, I was playing a lot of that. Um, I got into adventure gaming with uh, King's Quest Four, which my dad had. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, let me take a look here. I got these CDs. One's called. Uh, are these really that? Huh. Here's one from 96, the PC SIG library. Have you ever heard of PC SIG? Oh, uh, Special Interest Group. No, I haven't heard of that one. I've heard of similar ones, though, related ones. Yeah. And then uh, there's this other one that is from, let me take a look. It was from, like, a university in Finland. Hmm. Oh, neat. Yeah. Um... Yeah, here we go. Thousands of MS-DOS and Mac-MOS programs from the Garbo Archive at the University of Vasa, Finland. Cool. Yeah, I know those universities hosted a lot of uh, FTP sites and uh, allowed software publishers to host their (laughs) downloadable files there for free, so they often sold CDs of that stuff just to help pay the bills. So yeah, I just started playing games like that, and I started trying to make my own games in Quick Basic. And, uh, you know, of course, there was the Nintendo and the Sega and all that kind of stuff that I'd be playing, too. Of course. Had a Game Boy. The Game Boy was my life. Mm-hmm. It was the best thing ever. I still have it. Yep. I still have yes. all the games, but most of them. Pardon our chirping birds, by the way. They're real assholes. <laughs> oh, dear. One needs a rescue. Uh, did I go behind the curtains again? Yeah, she fell behind the curtain. What a stupid animal. Stupid animal. Yeah. Sorry, I got, I got parrots going apeshit here. That's okay. Oh, so that's cool. Um, what kind of stuff did you play around with in uh, QBasic? Um, a lot of the, 
lot of graphics stuff. This is really fun just to make like random graphics stuff, uh, some sounds. Like I've recently gone back into it a bit with DOSBox mm-hmm. because it's just so fun. Like you don't have to have external libraries and all this kind of crap. Like it's just all built in to draw graphics, make sound. Um, but I mostly ended up just doing um, text-based stuff. So my friend taught me about that. And uh, that's still a big a big passion of mine is text-based games and mudding and stuff. So Oh, that's great. Yeah. I never really actually finished too much in my QBasic programming stuff, but I learned a lot. Like, I just never put it all together into one cohesive thing. It was always just kind of me dicking around. Oh, sure. Sounds familiar. Eh, hobby's all about dicking around. Yeah. I suppose so. It's. It, I've, I've been told that the most important thing if you want to get serious about something is to finish it. But that's my biggest problem, that's for sure. I mm-hmm. love starting things. I dislike the middle of it, and I'd tell you how the end of it was if I had gotten to it more than I have. Yep. Yeah. I, I can't finish things. I don't know why. It's like something with me. Like, I'll start a million things, but I can never finish them. You are far from the only person with that situation, <laughs> I assure you. It boils down to uh, procrastination after you hit a brick wall. Well, I've been listening for quite some time now to the Blue Cup Tools podcast with Francisco Gonzalez and Ben Chandler, both... Uh, our fine gentlemen who have uh, guested on this podcast too. So hi, Francisco and Ben. They Their podcast is all about uh, programming adventure games with uh, Adventure Game Studio by Blue Cup Tools. So every week they kind of go through a different topic about one little intricacy of adventure game design. They both do it professionally now for Wadjadai Games. So it's great to hear all the stuff that they have to say about that topic. They've more than once talked about the best ways to finish a game and to make sure that you don't do all the fun stuff up front. You should mm-hmm. kind of space it out with fun and boring stuff because there's lots of boring, punishing, grueling stuff involved in game yeah. design, at least from my meager experience <laughs> with it. The uh, troubleshooting and bug and uh, bug squishing. Even just even just finishing, even just coming up with a, a concept for what the point is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fun to dabble in anyway. Oh, well, thank you for that. We'll go more into detail about game dev design. I just want to uh, talk about a few nerdy things before we uh, get into that. Oh, first of all, you know what I'm going to talk about, Bianca. Oh, do you have to? That's the stupidest shit ever. So I, <laughs> we have a special holiday on our calendar. Uh, it's been on our calendar for how long now? Like seven years or so? I don't know. Since before we were married. Because apparently you're... Oh, it's like nine years, I guess. Yeah. Nine years? Okay, so... Uh, on our calendar on this recurring day, and today's the very day. Today is mm. Apple Basket from Apple Basket Memorial Day, and so this signifies uh. this is the wonderful anniversary of the day where Bianca and I were playing Guild Wars. This is the stupidest crap ever, and I apologize in advance to anybody listening. Why don't you apologize for yourself because you were the the son of a bitch who. Uh, gravitated the whole horrible situation and made me stick it on the calendar because I was traumatized. You're the one who stuck it on the calendar because you're a dickhole. There is no reason. You're a dickhole. All you're basically doing is turning this into your own fucking 9-11. <sighs> nice. That's classy. <laughs> Although it totally is. So, we're playing Guild Wars and when you're in, in Guild Wars, the way it works is instead of being a great big open world, it's like a whole bunch of zones. And if anyone in your party walks past the edge of a zone, then your whole party uh, kind of teleports into one zone over. So we were both doing this quest where you you pick up a basket and you have to put apples in your basket. 
and then you give the no, apple basket to somebody. You're confusing. No, what you do is you go and you pick up the basket itself, which is surrounded by spiders, because the person who is picking the apples got scared away by the spiders. Okay, fine. Apple basket is my point. And this is increasing Guild Wars, so some people may not have seen it because it requires you to be pretty to have leveled up for quite some time in the uh, in the pre-searing in the the pre-searing area. All right, it's basically Wars. Noob Island. Yeah, Noob Island. Okay, so okay, so I I wasn't then uh, doing the wonderfully pleasant and uh, relaxing job of just picking apples. Apparently, I was uh, squishing poisonous spiders and fighting for my life. So I have my apple basket, and I'm like two feet away from the guy I have to give the apple basket to, to redeem it for my experience points and all that. And Dingus Brat over here... I'm oh, not a brat! And I'm not I didn't a call you a brat, I called you a Dingus Brat. She dingus brat. had already redeemed her quest, and she was like, la la la, I'm just gonna walk past the door of the zone here. And so <laughs> two feet away from the friggin' quest giver, I see a loading screen, and now I'm in the friggin' city, and my apple basket, so hard won, has disappeared. I, I asked you if you wanted to go back and get it, and you said you had a tantrum. As far as I remember, you had a tantrum, and then you put it on the calendar. I can't now imagine forced, why. Now we're forced to celebrate this stupid holiday. So that was eight or nine years ago, and I will never forgive her for evaporating my apple basket. Therefore, I, today is Apple Basket Memorial Day. And yet, on the same day it happened, <laughs> I volunteered to go back out with him and help him finish the stupid quest, but no. No, I have to go risk my life with the damn poisonous spiders again, and I... Got my knees dirty picking up the apple basket in the orchard. So screw you. Do my laundry and we'll talk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else do I have here? Oh, I want to mention that I brought home two big boxes from my parents' house. Not voluntarily, I might well, add. Well, you know, not voluntarily. I know. I have... <laughs> you know, I moved out of my parents' place like 10 years ago or a little less, actually. And they have all of my crap, a whole bunch of crap of mine at their place. They threw out all my friggin' rave flyers, and even though they're pretending that they don't know what happened to it. I had a huge garbage bag full of these amazing psychedelic, uh, like, laminated, not laminated, but, like, on nice paper rave flyers and stuff. I was always dreaming about making a DJ room for myself and plastering them all over my walls. But nope, they threw it out. Imagine that. Parents find a five-year-old garbage bag and they throw it out. I'll never forgive them. I don't know how they thought to do that. I know. So that sucks. But what they have been keeping for me, because I shook my fist at them, was... Several big boxes full of my magazines. old video game magazines. You have, I have like a PC Gamer and Computer Gaming World and Game Pro and Nintendo Power and all of that kind of stuff. So I took home two of, I think I have three boxes, maybe four. So I mm -hmm. took home two of them and I brought those home and I took a quick flip through the box. And there's all kinds of fantastic stuff in there. So Yep, including, yeah, including some notebooks he took with him to raves. Oh, I wasn't exactly going to mention that, but yes. But those were kind of cool, actually. They're kind of cool. I just yeah. like the concept that you explained behind those. It's the, yeah, right. They're the Sign My Book book, where uh, where, where some ravers would uh, go to the parties with a big backpack full of toys, much to the chagrin of the bouncers who would feel compelled to search through the entire bag looking for contraband of any sort. <laughs> and usually the worst they would find on me would be uh, like a marker or something, which you're not supposed to take into those places. But I think the only reason they didn't find anything worse was that I was good at hiding stuff. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, one of the things I would bring along would be like a pen and a sign my book book. So whenever you get tired of dancing, you sit down, you chat with some strangers, and if you find someone you like, you ask them, hey, will you sign my book? And I have so many email addresses and phone numbers that are, oh my gosh, that are um, that are like 19 years old now, some of them. 
So maybe I won't go say hi to those people. I don't know if they'll remember me. I don't know if they remembered me five minutes after signing the book anyway. <laughs> but yeah, we wound up only getting two boxes because I got because we have no room and the in-laws want to uh, burden us with more of these freaking boxes. Mm. I'm not going to make them throw them out, but I'm not, I just don't have anywhere to store them. No, we're just going to ask them to hold them for another decade for us, right? <laughs> Anton, do you, were you ever a magazine collector or anything? Mm. Not so much a collector, but I did. Uh, I did read a lot of them when I would go to the store. Mm-hmm. Like my parents would run off and do their shopping, and I'd just immediately go to the magazine aisle and start looking through the game pros and EGMs and stuff, and read about all the cool games that I couldn't play because I didn't have a Super Nintendo or nothing. Oh, right on. Yeah, I did plenty of that too. I would sometimes have money to buy a magazine, and sometimes I would just read it in the store, but. Then all the computer magazines would get like shrink wrapped because they had a disc inside of them, so you couldn't yeah. read those anymore. Those jerks. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would bring a if I knew I was going to the store, uh, I'd bring a little pad and pencil because back then that's when they actually had cheat codes. You could write down cheat codes and right. stuff. So I would do that and then take it to my friend's house who might have the game. Be like, hey, check it out! I got these codes from this magazine. And we'd play around with the game. Oh, that's great. I can't remember whether I mentioned on the podcast before that I actually submitted a cheat code to Nintendo Power as a little kid. I think yeah. I might have. It was uh, it was for Afterburner, which was like a, a, a port, port of the arcade game on the original NES. You like hold down the... I forget what it was. You like hold down the B button or like B and start or something while you turn on the game and it takes you to the sound test mode. So they actually oh, nice. published my code. That's cool. Yeah, Nito. They, and I was eight, they they didn't publish your name. They asked you to pick a three digit code. So I was agent nine fourteen after my birthday. Oh yeah, happy <laughs> birthday to you by the way, Anton. It was your birthday last uh, thanks. week. Thanks. Yeah, it was Sunday. Yeah. Thirty five. Oh nice. I am how old am I? Walker. You're five and years older than me. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be thirty seven in a couple of days myself. Nice. My happy birthday in a couple of days. Well thank you, thank you. What's it what's it like two years in the future? Uh, it's a it's a bleak, desolate wasteland uh, full, full of zombies it. and angry robots. <laughs> yeah, beware. What are you and that's doing? just his job. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Yeah, you're a freaking ham. Of course I am. <laughs> Speaking of ham, I want to tell my joke. You have a joke about ham? Well, not necessarily about ham, but um, <laughs> I threatened to tell this to you a couple of times ago, a couple of podcasts ago. Okay, well, you better live up to your threats. Okay. So a uh, Greek politician takes oh, his God. pants into the tailor and says, Eurymendes? Taylor looks at him and says, Eurypides? Eurypides. That's <laughs> terrible. I know. You're terrible. I love it. <laughs> oh, so... It's <laughs> ah, horrible. I know it is. I, uh, another thing I found in um, these boxes... No, it wasn't in the boxes. I put this in the box because my dad was looking to get rid of it. He had this old Pentium 90 laptop. This thing must weigh like twelve pounds or something. It's so chunky. It's a brick. It's a huge fucking brick. It's a real brick. So at least I plug it in and it works. I no matter how long I plug it in for, the battery stays at zero percent. But uh, as long as I don't nudge it or lean on it or anything, it stays turned on. Basically, don't (laughs) sneeze or breathe on it. Yeah, it has some cool stuff on it though. It has Windows ninety five on it. It Mm -hmm. has some games that I put on there. Um, It has like some Sierra games, Jones and the Fastlane, and I loaded up momentarily, and it works perfectly well. Uh, I'm thinking I might like to play Wing Commander on this thing because it has a pretty decent uh, speaker on it, and I was having trouble last week playing Wing Commander 
with DOSBox just because of the clock speeds were either too fast or in some parts and too slow in others, or I just couldn't get it right. So maybe it'll be better on the actual hardware. Um, I found uh, a bunch of MIDI files on there with this old program I used to use called WinGroove, which would uh, replace all of the MIDI patch instruments with really nice, realistic-sounding instruments. So that sounded really, really good on there. And amazingly, uh, the wallpaper that I set on this laptop, I don't know how many years ago, was for the... It, it was like a logo for this old uh, mod music group that I used to release music on in Toronto called Mazurka. And I posted a screenshot of this on Twitter, or a photograph, I should say. I took a photo of it and posted it on Twitter. And someone who doesn't even follow me asked me, was that Mazurka from Toronto? And I'm like, uh, yeah, it's just some random person. This is a group with maybe like 20 people in it or something. So, and I, I was in it in like 1996 or something. So for somebody 20 years later to ask me if I, if I, this was it, that kind of blew my mind. So yeah. it was, apparently it was this guy who went by the name of Sonic, who... Released, hedgehog. not the hedgehog. <laughs> as far as I can tell, he just released one song from Mazurka. And I listened to it, and it's really good. So I struck up a bit of a conversation with this guy. And he lives in San Francisco now. So he's three time zones away, and somehow he saw my screenshot and recognized a blurry wallpaper uh, from a <laughs> photograph. So that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, did you hashtag it or something? No, I didn't. I have absolutely no idea how he found it. I did get retweeted a whole bunch, so I guess it kind of made the rounds in the nerd community. So... I love you, nerd community. You're my people. Oh, that's way so. That's way too cool. Another thing I found on this old laptop, which I asked my parents for advice on what to do. Good night. Oh, you scared the birds halfway to freaking Australia with that. Nice. Um, Excuse me. Sorry I, about that. You were excused. I found. Um, I found. I, I was hired in, I guess, like 1998 or so. Um, by some guy who found my resume on, like, uh, <coughs> Workopolis or something. <coughs> Jeez. Um, he was just looking for a typist. He had this whole novel that he had handwritten, this oh. old man. And he wanted somebody to type it out for him so that he could submit it to a publisher. And he was, like, a really crotchety old jerk, too. He was, like, <laughs> oh, verbally was, abusive and everything. And I remember you showing me this the first, impatient. For, for the first time. And it wasn't when you brought the laptop home. It was actually when we went to that B&B in St. Jacob's. Oh, did I really show it to you? For the, that's interesting. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, so um, I, I spent like a week and a half or something. I typed about 80 pages of this guy's novel, and he told me when he gave me this, I want you to read the novel and then write it out and then proofread what you wrote. And then he, then he fired me a week and a half later because I was taking too long. <laughs> so whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure 20 years after an elderly man gives me this thing, he's probably passed six away by under. now. Yeah, at least six and a half feet under maybe. <laughs> His family, you found him as rude as me. They gave him the extra foot, half a foot. Um, I probably had, I could very well have the only copy of this portion of his novel. So I sort of was thinking, should I like contact his family and give it to him or something? I didn't know what to do. So I, I asked my parents for advice and they said, it's probably best if I just let it lie. So mm. I'll just, I'll just retain this one and only copy of this thing and uh, entrust it to the life of this rickety, crappy old laptop, I guess. Um, 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 um. What else? The only other thing I want to talk about, I guess, for now is uh, that Bianca and I were on the Open Crowdsource podcast last week. Which... Tubas! Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was about, <laughs> it was about like, Nazis and tubas and Oompa bands and what What did we talk about? It was, well, it's all we a had word. an antiquarian from East Germany oh, who right. had to resolve a feud between two warring 
families and there was a noise complaint. Right. And so we figured the noise complaint had to come from Oktoberfest, which was brought on by tubas. And one of the uh, curveballs we were throwing with this was that it was either it had to be a dream, and if it was a dream, it had to be somehow real. Oh, it was like if it's if it's not a dream, it's now a dream, and if it was a dream, now it's real. Okay, why don't we back it up and say what this podcast is about, in case we hadn't already? Oh yeah, good idea. So, open crowdsource podcast is run by uh, trolls, or the friend of the podcast, hello trolls, by his friend Fred Olson. Oh, do we have a voicemail from him today? No, uh, we don't. Actually. Oh, so we don't have to wait. So we don't have to. Um, sit here for 10 minutes to see him talk in a busy train station while get drinking. To, get to, not have to. <laughs> um, and um, Gareth Millward is the other host. And so the three of them, they give us like four random themes, and you have half an hour to design a game based on those themes. It's actually similar to uh, a conversation Anton and I had over Twitter not so long ago, where Anton was fishing for game ideas, and I kind of farted out of my brain the <laughs> stupidest possible thing I could think of. And Mr. Wizard over here actually put it in, together into a functioning game in like a day. That was freaking cool. The, the pie punching game? The pie punching game. That was brilliant. <laughs> pie punching. Pie punching. Yeah. I'm sorry if I sound like I don't believe this, but so how did that one work out for you? Yeah, why don't we talk <laughs> about the pie punching game, I guess, now that we're on the topic. <laughs> um, yeah, he said something about uh, a stealth game where... Um, you punch the pies of grannies and they get mad at you. <laughs> All right, you like punch it off their windowsill, windowsills or something. Yeah, so I just took a, I took a, a sprite of Gal from Final Fantasy VI as my character. Ah, because um, he always has that kind of low crouch, kind of look to him, you know. So I figured that might look good for sneaking. Is that the one that was published as Final Fantasy III in North America? Yeah. Okay, I know what you mean. Yeah. And then I just drew some incredibly shitty, half phallic looking hot things. <laughs> made me hungry. Grandmothers lived in and <laughs> took a picture of a grandma drawing off of Google and put a put a song I don't own the rights to as a soundtrack. And then there you go. You, you punch pies and and they uh, you have a chance of getting caught and they yell at you. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's it's really. An in-depth look at society and the uh, the effects of poverty and theft and all the all that kind of crazy stuff. And it's real sad. It's real sad, but you know yeah. that's life. Yeah, I heard the public school system was going to start replacing their textbooks with this. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. Uh, like this turning... is your life in ten years, no matter what. Hey, in two years, you asked me how the future was. I was trying to spare you by not mentioning that part. Uh -huh. Hide your pies, I'm telling you. At least there is pie. A future without that's pie? True. I don't know if that's a future I'd want. Oh, I admire your optimism. Well, there's possibly a future without chocolate because they can't keep up with production. Hey, guys, I'm going to start crying. I'm serious. <laughs> so you, you made this game with um, Game Maker? Yeah. How, how do you like Game Maker? That's pretty good. Uh, I first started using it in like 2006 or something for oh, a wow. class mm. at a local community college. Hmm. And, uh, like a game design class? Yeah. That's great. I was like, sweet, they get to make games. So I joined up and uh, I made a, they made a shooter for my final project. It was like a, based on like those old, you know, R type kind of space shooters. All right, shoot them up kind of a game. Yeah. Nice. Except you were a, a white blood cell inside of a spaceship. 
Really? It's pretty interesting. What, were you, like, killing antibodies inside your spaceship? Yeah, like, the story was that the spaceship was a prisoner yep. transport ship. Mm-hmm. Um, the prisoners are all Because the filthy. universe becomes so violent that they didn't really have enough people to pilot these ships all the time. So somehow they made ships that uh, were living beings themselves. Hmm. And uh, the controls for like the cages for the prisoners you know it's all run by this being but i guess one of the prisoners injected the ship with the virus that uh made the cells open up and the prisoners were free and then so the ship itself launched its own antivirus to fight off you know the infection and that's what the game is called infection Hmm. so you played a white blood cell and you were shooting all these crazy little uh enemies and uh there was power-ups um there was a boss fight i used a a midi version of the gilgamesh song from final fantasy 5 that's the level music hmm. it's pretty good oh that's pretty cool uh how long was the uh class just a uh, one term oh, okay like 14 weeks or whatever yeah, something like that. I can't really remember. It was a long time ago. I was drinking a lot. Like, I finished most of that game, like, the night before it was due, and I was, like, incredibly drunk. That's cool, sure. That's, I think that's why I like um, crunch time type. Like, that's when I do my best work, is, like, when I have no time left and I have to get it done or else, that's when, I, like, everything comes together and I just work my ass off and get things finished. That's like, a- if there's plenty of time or there's no time limit, I just don't really care it's weird i know what you mean i wish i did oh, i know what you mean that's how i've been in most things for the vast majority of my life right now i'm trying to get over that and i'm starting to do a better job of it i guess because of work and all that i'm starting to starting to get better i'm not entirely better than that but i i think what turned me around the most for that was when bianca and i took this uh creative writing night class uh how long ago three years ago Um, just at like this uh, local high school right around the corner from us and I was proud of us for sticking it out until the end but there must have been like a good 25 people or so when the course started and there were like 8 when it ended Uh. and um, the final project was to write a little short story based on all the stuff that we learned in the class and then to read it out so Bianca wrote a whole short story but you didn't really want to read it to everybody um, actually, I wrote a short story, then I decided I didn't like the first short story I wrote, so I wrote another one. Oh, but then you didn't read that either. I did read it, <laughs> but people were like, huh, what happened? Who are these things, and what does it mean? Oh, I don't remember you reading it. I thought you chose not to. On the last day? Yeah. I thought you didn't. I did. It was, uh, I made a metaphor, I made a uh, metaphorical story about the chess pieces, using oh. chess pieces to represent light and dark. Oh. But it was, um, but you don't know it's a chess piece until the end, and it sounds like it's just a medieval battle. Oh, okay. I don't remember. Sorry. <laughs> well, me, I, I was working on a concept sort of for the whole class. For the whole uh, class, it was like, how long was it? Ten weeks or something? Yep. And I had, we we had like a few intermediate assignments where you had to write like a little two hundred word thing or something. So I did those okay. And then I had to think about what was I going to do with this character and his situation and all of that. And I literally let it go until the very last day and I just kind of crapped something out and it was horrible and I figured, okay, I'm going to read it out to punish myself by having to read this in front of people. And I did that. I don't think anybody enjoyed it and I didn't enjoy it. And it was traumatic. So (laughs) I'm hopefully shamed myself into 
being more responsible with this sort of thing, but I've gone a whole lifetime of not being very motivated for this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, actually, there's one more thing I wanted to mention before we talk about what we've been playing lately. Um, I've been getting all these blue screens um, on, my, on my home PC, on my gaming desktop, which ticks me off, of course. It's, it was happening like once or twice or three times a day and was usually happening as soon as I exited a game. So like a game would run perfectly fine and then I would try to exit the game and then I would get a blue screen. And for a while I would get all of these different error codes with the blue screen, but the one I was getting more than any was memory manager or something like that, video memory manager. So I thought, oh crap, like what if my, I, I thought it was either my video card uh, becoming defective, and it's like less than a year old, so it shouldn't be defective yet. It's only about half a year old. Or I thought perhaps it was uh, my power supply, because Bianca had had some uh, random blue screens not too long ago, and was getting different error messages each time, and she had to replace her power supply, and that fixed her right up. So, I'm glad I didn't buy a power supply. That would have cost me like 150 bucks or something with tax. I did a little bit more Research. I lived with it for a few days, and I, I wrote down where the error codes were. And then I uh, did a little bit of research, and totally by fluke, I found a post on uh, Battle.net, which is Blizzard's thing. Some people that were playing Heroes of the Storm were having the exact same issue as me, where like one in every three times or something where they try to play a game, as soon as they exit, it crashes and uh, reboots and blue screens. Um so I read some of the comments, and it looked like what everybody had in common was they have the exact same video card as me, the NVIDIA GTX 970, and they were running Windows 10, and they were in the Insider Preview program, like I am, which means that they're using like a pre-release beta version of the operating system. So that was an interesting combination of factors. Mm. And then I looked that up a little bit more, and sure enough, there happens to be some sort of a bug in just the most recent beta build of Windows 10 that causes these blue screens if you have this exact video card. So I just formatted my PC and uh, put on the latest version of, or like not the latest, but the, the latest um, stable. gold build, stable. yeah, stable build of Windows 10 mm-hmm. and I haven't crashed yet, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Yeah. So I wanted to also mention what it was like to reinstall Windows 7 or Windows 10. I actually reinstalled it twice. Uh, once because I thought maybe my OS was screwing up, so if I formatted and reinstalled, maybe that would fix it, but it didn't. So when I did that the first time, I installed Windows 7, and then I upgraded it to Windows 10. First I had to install something like 245 updates. <laughs> that sucked, because my version, I have a, a retail version of Windows 7, and it doesn't have any of the service packs. I think it's from the when Windows 7 was first released, so it had a service pack and literally about almost 250 updates to install. That took like an hour and a half or so. That was like two or three episodes of the original Star Trek. That's right. So that's closer <laughs> to three hours. Yeah, Thanks. his measure time in Star Trek episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. because he gets bored, and which means I'm not allowed doing anything except entertaining his butt. I'm a tinkerer, and I'm always, I'm always formatting and fucking things up and breaking and fixing my computer, and so... Poor wifey over here has to has to entertain me while I'm sitting here watching a very long progress bar. <laughs> so that's a that's a good way to put it. That we measure time in Star Trek episodes. We've just started watching the original Star Trek series for the first time, and I'm loving it way more than I thought I would. You a Star Trek fan, Anton? 
Well, I don't hate it, but I I wouldn't really say I'm a fan. Fair enough. Like I never really got into it. I I do like sci-fi and stuff, and I have been actually wanting to check out the next generation shows. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've seen a lot of the original one on like uh, midnight television. You know, they just play whatever the hell they feel like in the middle of the night, and on like basic cable. That was back in the day. Oh sure. So I watched plenty of that, and I kind of wanted to get into the next generation where they kind of, you know, have better production value and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely way better, especially once you get into the second season. The uh, next generation is really good, especially in terms of storytelling and the variety of enemies. Nice. And you do get more Klingons, Romulans, and all the baddies in there than you do in this one. I mean, it took us how many episodes to even get to something exciting like the Romulans? Like, Oh, there's been cool aliens in the original one, though. Yeah. We're watching them in order from the beginning. Have you got to any sleep stacks yet? Uh, to any what? Sleep stack? No, I guess not. Uh, they're like the lizard people. Oh, no, we haven't seen those. That's right. I, I've seen, I've, I, I too have seen like little bits and pieces at late on late night TV and stuff like that. But now that we're watching them in order, kind of gives a little bit of continuity. So this is the only, oh no, we, we try, we've watched Next Generation of the whole series at least twice. We've watched... I've, I've seen it like four times. Okay. All the way through. We watched... Uh, Deep Space Nine. At least, three at least times. two or three times. And then we watched Voyager twice. I've watched it uh, three times. All right. And <laughs> we tried the latest Enterprise oh, one. But we didn't even get through the first episode. It was so bad. Yeah, we didn't like that. So now we're going backwards to the beginning. And I'm glad we are. Because it kind of... It's illuminating to see all of this other stuff in context. Give me that. So how's DS9 Enterprise? DS9 was really cool. I mean, the biggest, I guess the biggest um, criticism of DS9 is that it doesn't take place on a ship. It's on a station, which is stationary. No, not, no, it isn't, because they're able to move it towards the uh, Bajoran wormhole. Well, okay. But, I'm, yeah, I know, they can move, like, 15 centimeters over yonder. But, I mean, that's <laughs> the biggest criticism of that show, is that they're not visiting a new place every time. It mostly takes place in the same corridors. For the most part. Isn't that true? It is. That's the criticism, they get anyway. them defiant. They, but uh, Deep Space Nine, I would say, is the series that has kind of the best continuity, where stuff happens each season, and yeah. it t- kind of tells an overarching story, which comes to a pretty satisfying conclusion at the end. Mm-hmm. I like that series a lot. It just gets a little bit smoochy-poo, soap opera-y at times, but not as much as Voyager did. I liked Deep Space Nine very much. Yeah. Hey, Voyager had overarching continuity. Well... They're trying to go home. That's the whole story. And uh, the whole story of Deep Space Nine is Benedia. <laughs> He's like the, the emissary, the chosen one. That was a cool story, though. I thought that was a great story. Uh, Deep Space Nine might be my favorite series, but we'll see how I like the original one so far, because it's a pretty strong contender. It's good, but it still doesn't have Patrick Stewart. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Arcade Monthly, so. Sir Pat Stew. Pat Stew. Yeah. Did well, you guys ever get into any of the other shows like Farscape or. Uh, oh, what's that one with the portal? Uh, Stargate? Yeah. I saw the movie of Stargate. Yeah. It was I think a, that came out first, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It was fine. I don't know. I, I never thought of how they could turn that into a whole series, really. I haven't watched the series. Maybe it's good. Yeah. Have you seen those? Some of them. And Farscape is similar to Star Trek in some ways, I think, isn't it? 
Yeah, they've got a ship that's actually run by an AI. Oh. It's pretty cool. That reminds me, I wanted to see... Oh, shit, what's it called? I can't remember what this series is called now. Um, it's, uh, Firefly? No, not Firefly. Not I started that. I started watching that series. I found that boring, too, even though most people love it, apparently. Battlestar Galactica? No, not Battlestar Galactica. It's one where um, there's this really cute chick who is on this ship, and the ship is alive, and it's like a big bug sort of a thing. Her name is Zev. Oh. Yeah, that's Farscape. Oh. That's Farscape? Are you sure yeah, that's sure, Farscape yeah. and not it's Lex? It's a cute chick. That's Lex. Lex is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, Lex was oh. the first one I watched. Farscape is the one with that blue guy. That's how I know that one. Yeah, Farscape had a blue chick, too. She was like this crazy like prisoner at first. Oh, no, this chicken Lex is a, she's a white chick, and her, she, I think her, her main companion is, like, the AI of a robot or something, an artificial intelligence of some sort yeah. on this huh. ship, but the ship is a living creature, and it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. I really need to see this show. I, I saw that on TV a few times. Yeah, I uh, was forced to watch, I was forced to watch it because a really good friend of mine insisted that I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, was incredibly persuasive. So, <laughs> oh, did you like it? It was okay. Well, I'll probably make you watch it too. I can't make you do anything. You're my wife. Go to the other you guys have seen Red Dwarf. Oh, we we saw a few episodes. We like to we tend to enjoy shows that have like closed captions. Yeah. But that show, I can't find a version of it with closed captions, so it's oh. kind of hard to. It's kind of old, I guess, and it's kind of hard to make up what they're saying yeah, it's sometimes. Pretty old. But they're making new episodes now, I think. Really? Yeah, so maybe they'll have uh, some closed captions. Maybe. Oh, no doubt. Oh, I'll check that <laughs> out for sure. Are you a Red Dwarf fan? Yeah. I can't really remember a whole lot of them because it was a long time ago. It was like 2002 or something when I watched them. Mm-hmm. But they were great. Like, I don't think... Up until one of the later seasons where one of the main characters was replaced with another for some reason. Hmm. Um, it was like a really solid, funny show. Oh, it stopped being that way when they replaced that guy? Well, it was still funny. It was just weird. It is weird. Like, we wanted that character, you know? Sure. It was like when we were watching Fresh Prince, and halfway through that series, the mother changes actress. Yeah, but that <laughs> was because uh, the actress who played Vivian uh, All right, she... Banks was, couldn't get along with the rest of the cat, rest of the uh, or to the uh, actors on set. Was it the actors or the production crew or something? Um, I think it was a bit of both from the sounds of it. I think she wanted more money or something. I don't um, know, let's start a bunch of rumors. Yeah. No, I don't remember exactly, but it had, to, but it did come around the point where she was actually pregnant. And then I heard that she had an abortion, and nobody, uh, nobody was down with that. Oh. And so they all shunned her. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is true. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Not a rumor. Right. Yeah, I, I heard that the I heard that the baby was Will Smith's. Yeah, yeah, but, I think it was. Yeah. But the baby wasn't fresh enough. Yeah. Well, yeah. obviously, someone was changing the diapers. <laughs> oh, we're so insensitive. I love it. Mm. Um. All right. So this is my story about Windows Seven. Yeah, I was oh. wondering when you get back on tangent, or would I have to call you a nerd after you insulted me and our episode- brother-in-law for talking? an hour or so straight about Game of Thrones. This is episode 33 of a computer and video game podcast. You're going to call me a nerd now. You've had ample <laughs> opportunity, Toots. Yeah, but um, you called me a nerd for talking, you know, the, uh, about the technical aspects of Game of Thrones. Yeah, but you are a nerd. So, um, 
I upgraded my, so yeah, I, I, I formatted my PC, I put on Windows 7, I updated it for a long time, and I promptly got the uh, upgrade to Windows 10 sort of a thingy. Um, so I uh, clicked that, and it wasn't downloading fast enough, so I had a, I, I downloaded the ISO, and I made a bootable USB, and I installed off of that, and um, upgraded no problem, and it uh, didn't even need a new product key or anything like that, I just... Uh, upgraded from Windows 7, which was a legit version, and that uh, was fine. Then I, like a dumbass, promptly uh, upgraded myself to the latest beta insider <laughs> build again, and had all those problems once again. And I've been nice. doing these insider builds since way before Windows 10 was released, for at least half a year or so now, and I've never had problems like that, even when... Uh, but you did have dry sound driver problems at one point. Well, there were small sound driver problems, where right when I would install a new build, sometimes it wouldn't recognize my sound card, and I had to play with the drivers a bit till it worked. But this was the first time I was getting blue screens. Yeah. Even since before... Will you stop clicking out on the damn microphone, woman? I'm not clicking anything. Yeah, I'll click you. <laughs> um, Fine, take it away from me. I will. Thank you. I need something to play with. Play with a harmonica. Okay. Ooh. Come on, give us a taste. <laughs> Come on. Okay, good. <laughs> um, right, so I uh, decided I was going to format my PC one last time after I did that research and see whether that did the trick. And one thing that actually really impressed me that I didn't realize was a thing in Windows 10 was there is uh, something on Windows 10 called the Contact Support app. I think I typed support or something like that, and Contact Support came up. So I clicked it. It was just a map built into the OS, and it gave me the option first to look at a bunch of frequently asked questions based on different topics, but then one of the options was to have a live chat with a Microsoft representative to help me troubleshoot huh. live. So I'm like, oh, wow, okay, I'm not going to find my question. Uh, I was wondering whether if I formatted my PC, would I need a, and I installed it with Windows 10 directly, would I need a product key or something? And I couldn't find the answer to that anywhere because it's just too new, I guess. I'm probably the first dumbass to reinstall Windows 10 twice since it came out six weeks ago. So I tried this chat thing. I opened up chat, and this person in five minutes answered my question uh, just just with instant messaging, which was friggin' incredible. I can't believe, like, 100 million people have Windows 10 now. I can't believe that all 100 million people have this free live chat support built right into the OS. That's really what something. What if it's only in the Insider builds? Oh, um, I'll tell you right now. Nope, it's in the live build as well. Yeah, oh. because he accessed it after he put on the uh, live build. No, no it was, huh. this was when I was using an Insider build again. Because the reason I, I opened up the chat was to ask the question about whether I needed a product key if I formatted my machine. Uh, so she gave me good advice, this lady. Uh, El Eleanor, I think was her name. Hi, Eleanor. I thought it was Evelyn. Evelyn, I don't know. Whatever. Hi, lady. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> she told me all you need to do is format your, back up your stuff, format your PC, install off of my USB key, and when it asks me for a uh, product key, just press skip. There didn't used to be a skip button, but now there's a skip button. Or so it says either skip or register later. So I skipped that, and then. Um, before I uh, got into the desktop, it asked me to log in with my Microsoft Cloud uh, login account, which I did, and I always do because I like to back up my stuff in the cloud and all that. There's a lot of good stuff if you have a cloud account. So I logged in, and it didn't ask me for a product key or anything. And then I type activate to see there's, let's see, yeah, there's an option that says see if Windows is activated. So I click that, and lo and behold, it was already activated. So usually you have to type in this long, stupid product key. Yeah. 
And if you're unlucky like me and you do a lot of upgrades and stuff, at least with Windows 7, I would often get a little pop-up that said, Windows is no longer activated. Click here to reactivate it. And I would click it and it said, it's failed. Call this phone number and type uh, in this 40-digit number and we'll read a 40-digit number back to you. And then you can try to reactivate. I probably did that like 15 times or something over the years of using Windows 7. So this is way easier. I just typed in my username and password and it's activated just like that. So oh, go so Windows much 10. easier. Oh, that getting it, just getting the stupid key from the phone is such a pain in the butt. Because if you're not saying the number is clearly enough for the uh, automated system, it'll tell you to repeat. And if you, and then it'll uh, just send you back to the start. It's so incredibly uh, sensitive. Yeah, that's right. You can either type in your numbers on your phone or you can say them out loud. And you have to have, like, the perfect enunciation of, like, a, a BBC news reader or something for it to actually understand you every time. Or a nice bland Midwestern United States accent. Yeah, I guess I'm not bland Ooh. enough. I'm too Canadian for Microsoft, so they don't understand. Well, you need the, the stereotypical middle-aged white male conservative voice. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I need the old the old Jeb Bush or something like that to read them for me. Uh, so that's my fun with Windows 10 lately. So thank goodness after reinstalling my OS twice in two days and watching a whole lot of Star Trek, I seem to be up and running and stable. Yeah. Hallelujah. Anton, are you a tinkerer? Do you like to tempt fate and screw up your computer and then struggle to break it like I do? No, because I uh, I play a lot of the... A lot of video games that are very large in size, mm. and if I screw up and install, then I have to re-download all that shit, and it takes forever. Oh, do you only have one hard drive? Um, no, I have two, but one of them is, like, my boot drive is an SSD, mm -hmm. and one of my favorite games to play is Battlefield 4, and if you don't boot that off an SSD, it takes forever to load. Right. And so that's pretty much the one game that I put on the boot drive. Just for the load. And uh, so if I get rid of that, I have to download like another 80 or 90 gigs worth of crap. Ouch. Yeah, it takes forever. I'm actually in a similar boat, and this is how I can afford to format as often as I do. So I have my 256 gig solid state drive, and I have, I think I have a 4 terabyte drive now. I replaced my old 3 terabyte one. Is it 4 terabytes? Yeah, it is. Holy yeah. shit. Jeez. That's a lot of damn storage. It was just cheaper than... I got a 2 terabyte in my desktop. I have no need for a 4-terabyte drive. It was I, It's just a bigger number than the last one, and I felt like I wanted that. And it was cheaper than it used to be. That's his main Oh, it's favorite. always cheaper. That's right. So um, I install Steam on my other hard drive. Same here. The only game that I really have running on my C drive is World of Warcraft. or Which you can copy from me, which he has done in the past. Well, what I do is, what I because I format so much, I just keep a co an extra copy of it on my other drive. So if I have to format my C drive, then I can just copy it from my games drive after the format. And there it is. Yeah, which keeps all your add-on profiles. Yeah, I don't know about Battlefield 4, but uh, World of Warcraft has a lot of mod support and add-on support. So I, I have lots of add-ons installed and customized and stuff like that. So the user interface looks the way that I want it to. So it's a huge pain in the ass if I lose that. So I keep all that back up too. I guess Battlefield hasn't had mod support since, like, Battlefield 2 or something. Mm. You uh, stream a lot as well, don't you? In Battlefield 4 especially. On Hitbox, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I do. How do you like... We're trying that? to spruce it up with different games, though, but... Mm -hmm. It's just... A lot of times I just want to 
kind of just waste a few hours in the battlefield. It's just like fun, mindless time waster. Oh, sure. How do you like uh, Hitbox versus the other streaming uh, services? Uh, I like it a lot. It's very, uh, it's very nice. Uh, it's, it seems like a really lightweight kind of style. Um, I like the colors better. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, the dashboard is a lot more user friendly and not so obscure. And the community is really nice. It's, it doesn't seem to be like a whole bunch of you know. It doesn't. It's like not a high school popularity party over there at all. Oh, Twitch has a really toxic uh, community, don't they? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's there's a lot of good people there too, but for the most part, it just seems like you know, the it's just not my scene. Mm -hmm. Like I used it when I first got into streaming, and it was cool. But then I don't know that just the support. One of the first things I hated about Twitch was their support and how condescending they were really to me. Oh. Um, it was just like, man, if you're gonna you know, put that as your face of the company. It's just going to make me hate you. Oh, I totally agree. But I still watch a few streams on Twitch. Um, not many, though. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, I mean, it's kind of the same with Hitbox, too. It's like, I'll watch whoever, wherever, you know, if I like the person. But oh, yeah, stream a little bit of Hitbox. Um, it seems to handle streams better. It doesn't buffer all the time like it does with Twitch. Um, mm. The delay between the, the broadcaster and the, the viewer is a lot less. Oh, really? I think Twitch is uh, trying to fix that finally. It wasn't always like that with Twitch, but they introduced like a mandatory like 30-second delay. And I think that was because of their uh, tournaments and stuff. They didn't want people to stream snack the tournaments. Ah. And so they just did it globally instead of like based on the channel or whatever. I see. And so it was like, because people like to, you know, stream League of Legends tournaments and things like that, then everybody has to have it. It was ridiculous. Uh, I see. That, those are definitely their, their busiest channels. I know the MOBAs and uh, yeah. Hearthstone and the other kind of competitive tournament style games. So I guess I can see that, but we, uh, we sometimes like to play um, Drawful and Quiplash. Drawful, Quiplash, and other kind of um, games that are intended to be for people who are all in the same room, but people stream them instead. So if there's 15 seconds of delay, it's tolerable, but with 30 seconds of delay, you like have to have answered a question before it even shows up on the screen. <laughs> so that, that doesn't work. Yeah. yeah, the hitbox is probably around like six seconds or so. That's fantastic. Less. Six seconds is nice. I I'll mean, keep that in mind. And like a lot of times, it's even less. Like you'll go to a stream that has the chat on the screen, and so you could type in and then time how long it takes until it shows up on the stream. Right. And I've seen some streams that take just like maybe two seconds. Hmm. And so yeah, it's really nice. Like it's it's nice to be able to uh, you know get a question in chat or whatever, or have a conversation with somebody when you're broadcasting, and you don't have to sit there and wait and wait and wait. Right. Like, so many times on Twitch, I'll be, somebody will ask a question, then I'll answer it. And uh, it's just so weird, like, having that difference. Yeah, totally. The worst, part, the worst part is when you're trying to help a streamer. Like, if they're stuck in a game or something, and you're like, oh, you just missed the door, go back. 
Right. And then they don't see it for like half a minute. And they're like, oh, what door? Where? I was like, yeah, that was like 30 seconds ago. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do that on a hitbox. They see it immediately. They're like, oh, okay. Hmm. Have so, you uh, you tried the YouTube one yet? I did back before it was YouTube gaming. Um, hmm. I had gotten an invite to be a streamer on YouTube hmm. from YouTube. Cool. And uh, it was a forced... 30 frames and something else that was terrible about it. Yeah. It was very awkward to set up, very difficult to set up. Uh, might be different now. I don't know. I didn't really care to look into uh, YouTube gaming at all. Yeah, now I, I gave it a quick try just once. I'm not much of a streamer, really, but I wanted to give it a try. It was about the same as Twitch. I've never tried hitbox streaming, but with Twitch I use um, OBS and mm-hmm. The open broad what is it? Open broadcast server or something and um, software, yeah, software. And uh, it was almost the same as setting up for Twitch as it was on uh, YouTube. And YouTube now has sixty frames per second, and I don't know what their maximum resolution is. It might be ten eighty p. Yeah. So it looked nice. It looked the same as Twitch to me. It seemed to have the same amount of lag as Twitch, about thirty seconds or so. So. Oh, and- that was the thing that I hated about it too. There was, it was like a minute. Like a full minute. There was oh. no way to turn it off. The delay, no matter what, was 60 seconds. Oh, that's brutal. And that's another thing that I was like, no, I don't really care about that. But, I mean, now that YouTube gaming, you know, it's probably the polished up version of that. So, the lag's probably not as much. Yeah. Well, the only thing YouTube gaming is missing most of all right now, I find, is a community. It, there's really no community whatsoever. Does anybody really want a YouTube community, though? I mean, have you seen YouTube comments? They're like the worst in the world. <laughs> Unfortunately, they are pretty much the worst place you can go on the internet. You're too right. So, who knows? It's a nice, solid, well-funded uh, platform, at least, but uh, yeah. if they don't have a community behind it and some big names, then I don't know what they're going to do. They'll never catch on. I think people are kind of wary of them, just because they are such a humongous multi-billion dollar corporation unlike the little guys who are aiming to please but more competition is always good hopefully with more major players in this scene it will uh, cause more competition and more innovation and more uh, better customer service like you mentioned because that does go a long way yeah I always see Hitbox overlooked though and on one hand that kind of makes me mad because it's a great service and people just don't seem to want to pay it any attention but on the other hand, I love it because I want it to stay small so it doesn't get ruined. Right. So it's like, uh, I want you to do good, but not too good. <laughs> oh, I know what you mean. Good I enough know. to stay stay in business, but uh, you know, not, not big th- enough to attract the, the people. Yeah, the unwashed masses. Mm-hmm. They actually had some people leave Hitbox to go to Twitch recently because of that uh, that new feature where everybody can become a a partner, in a way. Mm. Everybody can get a subscribe button now on Hitbox if they want it. Oh, and they they didn't like that? Yeah, they felt that, you know, they were the, you know, they earned it and they, you know, they worked for it and now everybody can just have one if they want. So they felt like, you know, it meant nothing to them anymore. Even though there's two versions of subscribers now, the one where you can sign up for yourself and then the actual partnered one where you sign a contract. And it does come with extra benefits, um, but these people, I guess, some of them just didn't care, mm. and so they left. I guess I can see where they would have some objection to it, because, I mean, yeah. a person's only going to subscribe, you know, $5 a month or something to so many 
to so many people. So the more competition there is, the less there is for you, I guess. So fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, and if everybody gets one, I can understand how somebody could be upset if you work really hard to build a community around yourself and, you know, a lot of supporters, and then suddenly everybody can just have that, you know, same benefit for free. It's true. But, well, it's a good way to attract more people to the platform, I guess, which is something that they'll need to survive, so I can see why they did it. Yeah. Well, I hope it works and out. I, and I don't think everybody left, just a few people, and I'm going to assume that um, Hitbox is not going to, you know, be a worse place without him. So. Sure, exactly. Um, by the way, you mentioned, when you mentioned uh, customer service, I just wanted to quickly mention this ridiculousness. Um, a few weeks ago, Steam had this sale, a Devolver publisher sale, where they were selling not only games discounted by Devolver, but also they were launching this new, like, streaming video sort of a thing, kind of like Netflix kind of like Netflix, where you can, like, buy a movie and it's only streamable. And I was having some trouble with it. I would It would buffer like crazy, no matter what quality I viewed it at, even really low oh, quality. Oh, I remember this. This was obnoxious. It was obnoxious. I was trying to watch, like, a 15-minute short movie, and it was buffering, like, every 20 seconds, even at, like, 320 by 200 or something really mm -hmm. ridiculous, tiny like that. And even if we just left it paused to let it load, it kept buffering. Yeah, it was so slow. So I tried a bunch of stuff, and I couldn't figure it out. So what the heck? I figured, okay, I'll just open up a Steam ticket. So I opened it up on, like, the Thursday or the Friday, and I said, I'm hoping you can help me out with this because I want to buy a bunch of these movies. I would appreciate it if you could help me uh, before the weekend is up. I got the first reply from Steam three and a half weeks later, which is disgusting. And they told me to – that it was an automated reply that told me to refer to an FAQ that I mentioned in my – in my ticket that I had already tried. So that really pissed me off. So I wrote them back and I just said, I tried it again and it's actually working now. I don't know if the problem was on my end or yours, but I would have appreciated if you could have gotten back to me a heck of a lot sooner. And so they replied like a day later saying, we're glad your problem's resolved. Let us know if you need more help. So fuck that. That is beyond uh, useless. Do they do all their support in-house or what? I mean, there's I a lot know. of support outsource. Like I've done support. An outsource company, you know, these companies hire support professionals and they train mm -hmm. uh, the products. Like they take on contracts. Like does does Steam outsource it anywhere or what? I don't know. I mean, because if is... not, they should. Because three weeks is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I've I've gotten really good support from Steam before. It usually takes a while. I've never had to take this long. I think a week is the longest, or maybe nine days or so is the longest I ever waited, which is still horrible. Like, I subscribe on Twitter to uh, Blizzard's customer service, where they talk about World of Warcraft statistics and stuff, and they, like, apologize when the longest ticket is 23 hours. Yeah, like, the, the support I've done, um, like, I've done support for Disney, mm. and if it's, like, longer than one day, and the guest doesn't know about it, the, whoever doesn't know about it, like, we're going to at least tell them. Yeah. You know, hey, yeah. you know, it's going to take a little bit of time to, you know, work on your problem. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just hang tight. We'll be in touch and all that. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. But I also wonder if it's Valve or Steam or whoever just getting, you know, because how many people do they have? 
Like millions, right? Tens millions of, of players. Tens of millions, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, so it would make sense. Like they have money. I'm sure they can afford to, you know, send some contracts out to these, you know, outsource support companies. You know, and send some representatives out to teach the people about Steam and how how the products work, and you know, train them to be you know Steam support specialists. Yeah, seriously. Um, well, I mean, Steam has been around for like a decade now, and it's. And uh, Gabe Newell is a billionaire, so it's he's whatever he's got to be aware of the situation, and he's like making a decision to run support the way he is, which I don't understand because he seems like the coolest guy in the whole world. But this is yeah. his biggest fault, I think, is the support side of things. Like I'm looking at my uh, uh, Bianca and I have like family sharing so that we can see each other's games on our on each other's uh, Steam accounts. Yep. Between the two of us, we have 811 games. I don't know how the hell that happened. Yeah, that's from ten. That's how. That's well. That's yeah. And humble bundles. That's how. But um, I mean, I think we've earned decent support after 811 games. Right. Right. So that's that's a kind of a pisser. What are you gonna do? Oh well. Um, it would be nice. I would take that job though. Like if it was like an email or chat support for Mm -hmm. Steam, dude, I would be all over it. That would be cool. I, the, I have to say, the best support I've gotten has been from Blizzard in World of Warcraft. Yeah. Because they're prompts. Yeah, those guys really are nice. awesome, dude. They tell you jokes and stuff. You can ask them to tell you a WoW joke, and they'll tell you a joke. But they're always so cheerful and energetic and apologetic, and they look things up. And if they don't have an answer for you, uh, or if it's a bug, they say, we're aware of it, and you can expect uh, we're like it's a known bug, and it will be in the patch that's being released on this day. Like They've been amazing. Yep. Sometimes they even and, let you just hang out and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which like, is that's super what cool. one person said to me. It's like, so you guys seem really laid back. We're like, yeah. I mean, sometimes people treat us like counselors. <laughs> like just hang out and talk to them while they're playing and stuff. We do our our work first, of course, but we'll still reply to them. And well, that's how talk. you do customer service, right? That's smart. Well, even and it's when also the company that lets you do that too. Out. So it's really smart further up the chain for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it allows them to say, "Hey, you know, just hang out. These are gamers. You're a gamer. Be a gamer." You know, right? Yeah. I was even going to point out that when the uh, when the expansions first come out, they're like they they'll tell you exactly how what the average expected waiting time is, so you know that it's good that they're expecting like three days for a ticket because it's just such high volume because yeah. the expansion's out and there's probably going to be problems. That's right. Well, they prioritize them too. It's like three days for the longest ticket or something. Yeah, three days for the longest ticket, and game-breaking and progress-stopping quests are op- uh, questions are often addressed first, and people with piddling problems like, um, I don't know, my ass is itchy or at the bottom of the list. I don't know if they can help you with that one. Uh, what if your character's <laughs> ass is itchy? Oh, and you type slash scratch, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Bianca does some like player customer support stuff, too. She's talked about it on the podcast, but do you want to give a short summary of it again for people who missed that episode? Um, sure. Um, I'm a community monitor, uh, manager on nationstates.net. So um, we often answer questions and try and help people, but unfortunately we don't always get the most cooperative people. And, and they, they try to argue with the uh, staff a lot because they don't like their answer, the answer they get. So, for example, they don't like that somebody's voice an extremely unpopular opinion so they keep trying to convince us 
that this person is being inflammatory and offensive when in fact they're just expressing a really unpopular opinion. Mm -hmm. As long as they're not breaking the rules, right? Exactly. So you can say, you know, for example, that you think Sarah Palin's the greatest politician ever. And if someone reports you, it's like, well, just because they think that. They're, they're not, and the thing is, they're not even being offensive. They're not uh, breaking the rules, but somebody thinks it's offensive because this person happened to think that Sarah Palin was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not like they're saying Sarah Palin kills and eats babies. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. that might be kind of pushing it. I don't know. I heard. I heard that's what the rug in her uh, living room is made of. <laughs> her, uh, her daughter's aborted fetus. <laughs> yeah, nice. Oh, yeah, we're keeping nice. classy today. I love it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think on that note, now's a good time for us, perhaps, to talk about what we've been playing lately. Mm -hmm. Anton, why, uh, why don't you uh, let us know uh, what you've what you've been playing this past week or two? Okay. Um, been playing a lot of Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes. Mm. Oh, is that the new one? Five? Hmm? Is that the new one? Five? It's it's five, yeah, but it's Ground Zeroes. It's the one that came out like half a year ago or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's the one where it's just like you're at a, a base in Cuba and you've got a bunch of different missions you can do. Oh, how do you like it? Um, I like it a lot. I didn't like it at first because some of the controls are really weird. Because um, I was playing the keyboard and mouse. Mm. Um, but I got used to it, and now I'm really good at it. Mm. And uh, it's it's pretty fun. It's short, but there's a lot to do. There's a bunch of different missions you can do. Um, there's also things that you can do that will allow you to unlock stuff in the Phantom Pain. Because you can upload your save from Ground Zeroes and uh, use that to launch Phantom Pain. And then based on stuff you did... Uh, in that game, you can unlock stuff, so that's kind of cool. That's actually what I've been doing um, since I haven't quite pulled the trigger on the Phantom Pain. I've been playing a lot of Ground Zeroes to kind of, you know, get those things done mm -hmm. so that I can get, uh, you know, all those extras. Oh, cool. Oh, so and, it was like huh? a short kind of a, not quite a demo, but it was sort of a demo, wasn't it? Or was that a that full game? It was actually a lot of, it, it, it's short. It kind of feels demo-ish because it's just, one area, like all the different missions, they all take place in the same area. Mm -hmm. Just this uh, prison camp based thing in Cuba. Um, so it's not very big at all. Uh, you can run from one side of the map to the other in like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, something like that. Hmm. Oh, so how, um, long, how long does but the game There's a lot take? of stealth opportunities. Uh, you can shoot out lights, some of them. Uh, you got your tank, your tank guns. You can get silence guns on silence guns, grenades. You know, smokes, flashes. Um, you could kill people, or you could just uh, like choke them, choke them out. You can interrogate them to find out uh, where things are in the map. Like here's a hidden machine gun, or here's an armory, or here's where the prisoners are. Um, the typical kind of stealth stuff: hide the bodies, so they'll be spotted, and they'll call in backup and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot to do. There's a variety of the missions is cool. Um, there's a lot of kind of inside jokes too with uh, with some of the missions. Like one of them, you actually rescue Hideo Kojima himself. Huh. And uh, another one where you go through and it's not a part of the mission at all. You don't have to do it. But one of the guns comes with some kind of UV light instead of a regular light. And you can find the name of the games, like Metal Gear, Metal Gear 2, Metal Gear Solid, all that, 
like spray painted around the base. Nice. And and the ones that Hideo Kojima himself produced, like a lot of the early ones, you could shine that light on them and it'll erase them. <laughs> but there's a bunch of other ones like uh, Metal Gear Solid Tactical Ops or um, that Rising Revengeance game and stuff. Like those can't be erased. So it's like this weird, uh, this weird kind of thing where you know he's at odds with the games he made. Um, erasing them, you know, from the game, and then him, of course, you know, leaving or getting fired. Mm-hmm. So hmm. it's pretty. It's pretty interesting. Are you a fan of the series? Oh yeah, yeah. I love them. Mm. I, love them. I have not yet still played through Metal Gear Solid One. Mm. Um, that was for but, the original PlayStation. Yeah. Metal Gear Solid 2 is probably my favorite because it just gets incredibly insane in the last half of the game. Like, uh, it's hard to explain, but really crazy. Hmm. Yeah, I know. I've not played 4 either. Guns of the Patriots I haven't played because I didn't have a PS3. Oh, okay. I, I heard that one was kind of annoying to play, or at least it had, like, something... I, I don't know if I'm remembering right. Something like 40 hours of cutscenes or something like that. Yeah, that's what I heard too. Like it was playing a movie with like the occasional button press, but I think it might have been also that it was not too different from the other Metal Gears. It's just a lot more people were exposed to it, and so people were like, "Holy shit, these cutscenes are long!" Right. And a lot of the Metal Gears cutscenes are pretty long. That's so what I heard too. But in four, people. I heard four in particular. It's like the length of twenty movies. Wow. And that's just the cutscenes. That's something. Wish I could have played it though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someday I hope. I've got my mm-hmm. fingers crossed for an emulator someday. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, anything else you've been playing lately? Uh, outside of Battlefield, um, I just started playing this new game yesterday called Deal Scavenger. Have you heard of that one? No, I don't think so. What's that one about? Oh, it's this awesome little game where it's a it's a survival game. Um, it's really kind of realistic in a way like um i mean obviously it doesn't look realistic but uh basically how it goes is you wake up in a cryo chamber and something has broken you out of your cryo sleep whatever and you don't know who you are or anything and so you just kind of go out and survive um like the overworld map is this uh hex grid style and so you can move around to different areas. Um, you can scavenge for your stuff. You have a bunch of different perks that you pick at the beginning, like strength, agility, metabolism, engineering, stuff like that. Um, you can also take negative traits like insomnia and myopia. Hmm. Why um, would you want negative traits? Hmm? Why would you want a negative trait out? Oh, because you only get 15 points um, to choose traits from. And each trait has a different set amount of points. Like strength, I think, is six points. Uh, lock picking is one point. And the negative traits will give back a certain amount of points. So like insomnia is one point. So you take insomnia and you have trouble sleeping, but it gets you an extra point back that you can choose for a positive trait. Ah. So you can kind of balance your character out between good and bad. That's interesting. That's a good idea. So my first character was kind of cool. I tried to model it more after myself. Um, where I chose 
insomnia and I forget what the name of it was, but it was a trait that was kind of like you're out of shape and <laughs> tire easier. And I was like, that sounds like me. <laughs> and then uh, I took some more positive traits like uh, the hacking and um, botany, I think, you know, the, the plants. There are a few more that I felt like would represent me if I was, you know, out in the wild by myself, like how I feel I would act. That's great. And, uh, yeah, you go through and you scavenge through, like, old blown-up apartment buildings and stuff. You find all kinds of random crap. Um, like, one of your early, one of your only, almost, so far, um, backpack-style items are plastic chopping bags. Huh. Like, you hold one of those in your hand, and it gives you, like, a 6x6 grid of inventory space to carry stuff. Um, but the bags will degrade over time. And so you'll huh. drop all your stuff randomly and you won't have it if you're not paying attention to the messages. That's brutal. Yeah, there's all kinds of crafting. Um, you got all kinds of different stats, your thirst, your hunger, your tiredness, your warmth. Um, it's really in-depth. You find like a random shoe and you can wear it if you want because um, running around barefoot hinders your movement. Um, yeah, so it's really, it's a really, uh, stats driven kind of game and, uh, it's really fun. I've only played it through a couple times so far, so I just bought it yesterday, but it had been on my wish list for quite a while and it was on sale yesterday for, at GOG for half off. I think it still might be, I'm not sure what the length of it was, but it's only 750 on GOG. So hmm. What's I feel like kind of those. It's a really indie style game. Pretty small. It's only like a 70 megabyte download, but it's got real depth to it. And, uh, and there is a point to it. Like near the end of my first play, when I was practically dead, um, I actually came across an encounter with somebody and I chose to speak with them instead of try to attack him or whatever. And it was one of the only people that I've encountered that actually decided to speak back to me. Hmm. And they mentioned something about an item that I was wearing around your neck. So when you start out, you're wearing a hospital gown and a hospital bracelet and then some kind of weird medallion around your neck. And then this person mentioned that and they said, oh, you should go talk to these people. Um, you know, they might have some idea of what the hell that means. And so there is a way for you to kind of progress through the game to find out who you are. But... By that time, I'd been playing the game for like an hour and a half, and uh, I think just a few turns later, I died. Mm. I was like unconscious, coughing up blood. I had hypothermia, blisters on my feet. I was starving. I was had a concussion, all kinds of crap. I just killed over dead. It kind of sounds like a combination of like Fallout and Oregon Trail. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of like that. Um, a little bit of Wasteland too, mm -hmm. and. Uh, it's really fun. Yeah, if you like, you know, having to manage stuff like that, if you like, you know, creeping around and surviving and, you know, battling the elements, battling yourself, uh, it's a real good game. It's really fun. Like, I would take that over any H1Z1 quote-unquote survival crap like that any day. Yeah, sure. It's kind of nice to see a survival game in the third person like this instead of all the there's so many first person ones just yeah, like and it's not even like a third person like you don't even control the character like you don't walk around or nothing like that you kind of just click the different hexes and go into that grid 
and then uh, you have your options of what you can do there. It'll it'll read you a description of the area. Um, you just click on icons and buttons and stuff, and you know you see the game progress that way. So there's no like you know WSD movement or nothing like that. Right. Is it turn based then? Yes, turn based. Hmm. It's very nice. It's uh, it's refreshing to see something like that. Um, because that's something I could do. I think you know the. It's not totally interactive. It's a lot of stationary stuff, a lot of buttons to click, but there's so much going on, you know, behind the scenes. Like that code has to be complex. So sure, no doubt. might be something I could probably, you know, think about working on. Oh, that's great! I'm sure there's a lot of like randomized elements as well, or is it just that it's so big that you're not likely to see everything in a in one playthrough? Oh yeah, I don't think you're gonna see everything in one playthrough. Hmm. Um, at least not unless you kind of memorize the game. I think there is a set certain type of events that happen, but I'm not sure they're gonna be in the same spot or not. Okay. But like I said, like that first playthrough, I I met that person near the time I died, so now I know that hey, if I go and try to look for this person again, you know, I know I can go to another place and try to continue the story. And now it's just about, you know, surviving and looking around for that person again and, you know, moving from point A to point B and, you know, just trying to stay alive and trying to see if I can, you know, find these points and connect them and make it through without dying. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting because, like I said, you just wake up and your cryo chamber is busted open and uh, that's it, pretty much it. Nobody else seems to be alive. Uh you have no memory of who you are, and so you just head out barefoot in your hospital gown and just figure shit out. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I like it. So, yeah, Neo Scavenger. If you got GOG, you should check it out. Right on. They're not paying me, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> now all we do is enthuse about games around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Well, that's cool. Is that all you played the past couple of weeks, or anything else worth mentioning? Um... Pretty much, because I, like I said, I don't really finish a lot of stuff, so I might start a game and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to play this forever, and then another game will get my attention, and I'll stop playing it and start playing that one. Of course. And so if we trace back at least a couple of months, um, yeah, I was playing The Witcher. Oh, the third one? Pillars of Eternity came out, so I started playing that. Mm-hmm. And then it just went on and on and on, and slowly my installed games list gets bigger and bigger, and and now we're up here with Ground Zeroes and Neo Scavenger. <laughs> oh, of course. Well, it's getting harder and harder, I think, to justify playing one of those 80-hour RPGs all the way to the end. It's so hard to keep your attention when all these other games are coming out. And... Yeah, like The Witcher 1, I was playing it because Witcher 3 came out, and I figured I had the game, so I never beat them. Might as well do it, and then I'll get Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. And then, like, 30 hours into Witcher 3, I'm on, like, Act 3 of 6 or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, damn, like, Act 2 took forever. Like, it's such a small little area, but there's just, they just put so much crap to do in there. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm the kind of person that side quests everything. Right. I try to usually, too. Yeah. Like, in, uh, like, Skyrim, like, I got as far as the point where you go and you battle the first dragon. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't battle the dragon. <laughs> and if you don't do that, 
you never have dragon encounters randomly. Yeah. Right. But you can still just go everywhere in the world. And I just had hours and hours and hours of just exploring random stuff, taking on random quests, not even touching the main quest. And the best part was no random dragon encounters. Oh, I feel you. Yep, I, I think I had 80 hours played in Oblivion or something, and I never finished it. <laughs> yeah, it's fun playing those games like a survival game or like a URU kind of a game, and don't give a crap about the... The primary quest yeah. is usually usually the weakest part in... At least in the the Elder Scrolls games that I've played, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's it's like there as your incentive to go through the story, but you can get there's so much more stuff to do outside of that that you don't even need to do the main story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I like about games like that. They they just let you do whatever you want. Yeah, I love a sandbox style kind of a game where you can just live your life however you want to. But some of them will uh, lock things up in the story, though. And you'll come, you might come across something that will stop you, and you're like, huh, I don't know how to get past this. But then you play the story, you have an ability, then you can. So. Oh, that's true. That's very true. I hate it's when one that way happens. that people try to get you to play the story. Right. True enough. You think that's good, though? That eh. are these kind of games good where there is no end to some of them? Uh, as long as the game is interesting enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, and it depends on how important it is to you that you finish a game. Because, like, for an Elder Scrolls game, like I finished Skyrim, I never finished uh, Oblivion. I didn't really care about the ending of Skyrim. You just fight some great big dragon instead of the really instead of the really big dragons. You fight a really really big dragon, and that's the end of <laughs> Skyrim. Like, who cares? So, I, I care personally. I care more about the experience than the resolution in in an action style game. If it's a story based game, then of course I want to get to the end, but. I don't care about the main story and those humongous open-world RPGs, really. Um, yeah. Bianca, what about you? Let's see. Well, I finished Bioshock Infinite this week. Oh, yeah. That was a game with an interesting story. My brain hurt after, after <laughs> trying to figure out that story. Yeah, me too. I've, I finished it, and I've at least uh, read wikis about it and opinions about it, so yeah. I think I know what happened, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's just a very well-told story, even though it's still really confusing. Yeah, it is. It's the best thing about that game is just it's such a beautiful game to look at. Yeah. But you can't press any button this. like a normal human being. You have to bash it with your fist. It's like, really, you can't just, you know, press it with your finger. You have to go... Bam. Oh, right. If you're a big macho guy in a first-person shooter, you never just tap a button. You punch it. <laughs> unless, of course, you're playing... Unless you're, unless you're uh, in Wolfenstein, in which case you actually press the button. Yeah, that's right. The protagonist in the new Wolfenstein games is, like, the biggest, beefiest protagonist ever. But he knows how to press a button with one finger instead of punching it. So I appreciated that. Well, that reminds me of uh, Final Fantasy X in one of the early areas uh, when you're underwater. And uh, there's a computer to open a door. And Titus, he just smashes his fist over and over and over on the keyboard. Mm. And it opens. I'm like, really? Mm. Final Fantasy X was... No, that was... A, I was thinking whether that was the uh, MMO. But that's not the MMO, is No, it? that's 14. Yeah. 11 as well, I think, was an MMO. Yeah. I always get those confused. But yeah, the, I understand that smashing the hand thing. It's just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Uh, Bianca, what else have you played lately? Anything worth mentioning? Uh, yeah, I made more progress in Wolfenstein Old Blood, the Old Blood, which is also, which I also need to finish since I finished New Order. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, did you talk about the finish, the end of the New Order, since you were on the show last? Uh, no, because you told me not to spoil it. I did? Yeah. You can spoil it. Um, I thought it was established that, you know, some people are still playing it because it's relatively new. Oh, well, you can tell us your opinion of it anyway. Without spoiling it. I still haven't I played it. I have it now. I just oh. haven't played it yet. I already oh, what's that my spoiled? opinion about it because we mentioned it earlier. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I love those games. I, at least the the first one, New Order. That is a phenomenally good game, I thought, in like every way. Mm-hmm. Do you fight Robo Hitler at the end? No, you don't. That's not uh, since Wolf 3D. I know. Sadly. But you fight lots of Robos, and you fight lots of Nazis, and you yeah. fight lots of Robo-Nazis. Just no <laughs> Hitler. There's no Hitler at all. There's no mention of Hitler in the whole series, which is yeah. interesting. Isn't it an alternate history? It's like yeah. an alternate... Yeah. It, it is. It's like if the Nazis were winning the war, what would happen like 20 years later? Which is pretty fascinating. The game is just unnecessarily well written. <laughs> it's really, really well written. It's got a fantastic story with great voice acting and dialogue and all that stuff. And it's incredibly beautiful and the gameplay is really good. That just came right out of left field. I can't believe what a good game that is. Uh, it's oh. like I have a phone call. Hold on a moment. You're ringing? Yeah. Oh, we'll just hold on to podcast. Why don't I... You don't have to talk here. <laughs> okay, well, while she's on the phone, why don't I talk about what I played this past week? What did you play? All right, I have three things on my list here. Number one was I updated my PlayStation 2 emulator, so I played a few games briefly on my PS2 emulator. Oh, it's I'll put a link to the emulator in the show notes. What's it called? Uh, the yeah, emulator? PCSX2. Yeah, that's it, PCSX2, something like that. Is it more optimized, or what's going on? You said it's a new update? Well, I haven't tried this emulator since I upgraded my computer last, so I don't really know how it compares in performance to before. It runs very, very smoothly. Uh, Some of the games had some, like, rendering issues where it would render some textures on top of others in, like, the wrong order. So, like, for example, one of the games I was playing was Parappa the Rapper 2, which is one that I own. Uh, I own the disc for that and uh, know how it's supposed to play out. Oh, you, yeah. you still have your appointment? Yep. Okay. Um, and uh, sometimes it would, like, you know, that, that's a game where you have to, like, repeat a verse from someone who, like, wraps something and then you wrap it back to them by pressing a series of buttons back to them. So it's supposed to show you the buttons on screen and then you press the same buttons in the same order with the same timing. But because it was rendering some surfaces in the wrong order, sometimes it wouldn't show me the buttons I was supposed to be pressing yeah. until after I was supposed to press it. So that makes it unplayable. So yeah. that's that's a shame, and that's it's a real shame because I love the I love this game. It has a, a, it has awesome graphics that are super colorful and wonky and deformed and grotesque, but really adorably cute. Um, and it has these two stories that are super ridiculous. One of the stories is that the protagonist. Parappa, uh, he somehow wins a life, a hundred year supply of noodles. And so he's sick to death of eating noodles all the time. But, but then at random, for some reason, all the food in the world also turns to noodles. And he, mm-hmm. all he wants is to eat something that's not noodles. So that's one of the plots where he like goes to a hamburger restaurant and he orders a hamburger and instead of the meat, it's noodles. But it's still surrounded by everything else hamburger-esque. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it still has a catch, uh, bun and ketchup and all of that stuff. So then you then you do a whole, you have to like solve the the problems in the world by rapping about it. So you like you you do your rap song about the steps of making a hamburger, 
and putting it on the bun, then you have to, as he says, you have to French the fries. <laughs> <It's> stuff, <laughs> stuff like that. And that's how you slowly restore the world back to the non-noodly order. But there's it's like a really big... It's really stupid. It's, it's hilarious. It's really cute. And the other subplot is that he has a crush on this girl who has a sunshine for a face or a flower for yeah. a face or something. And he's self-conscious that she thinks that he's immature. <laughs> that's the other... <laughs> so, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, another game I tried for the PlayStation emulator, the PlayStation 2 emulator that I hadn't tried before was Guitaru Man. I forget who that's by. It might be by the same guys who did um, Space Channel 5. I love the Space Channel 5 games. I saw a friend play uh, one of those songs on there. It was really sad. The song was sad? Yeah. Like, he was playing in a stadium, and it was, like, the saddest song ever. (laughs) The music is is not bad at all, actually. I didn't get too, too far in it. I don't know if it's... I'm, I use this Logitech gamepad, which is almost identical in shape to a PlayStation 2 gamepad, but... Uh, so in, in uh, Guitar Room Man, you tap buttons in the order you're supposed to tap it, but you also have to rotate one of the thumbsticks in a certain direction, and that's kind of how you approximate like tuning a guitar with one hand and strumming it with the other. Uh, but I was having trouble pointing the directional stick in the direction it was asking me to. So I don't know if that was an emulation thing or a gamepad thing or if, uh, if I'm just a crappy player. But that was, that was pretty cool. The music was great. And the last one I tried momentarily because I played it to death already is We Love Katamari because the Katamari Damacy games are freaking brilliant and I love them to death. Ah, oh, they're great. Love those games. Love them so much. Those are really Japanese and really crazy. These are all really Japanese games. That's sort of what I was in the mood for for a little while. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't put it on my list actually, but another really Japanese game that I just started playing for an hour or so. What's it called? It was made by Suda51 who has made a bunch of games. I don't remember the one that I played on Wii, but I loved it, and it was really, really strange. Oh, what is it? The Killer is Dead or something? Killer is Dead is the name of the game that I've been playing on PC now. Oh, I put almost an hour into it. So it's like uh, you're the sword fighter guy, sword fighter bounty hunter guy, and you have to kill targets and demons and stuff like that. But it has these... It was kind of Metal Gear uh, in in its weirdness and randomness and like postmodernism kind of a visual theme and, like, the craziness of the dialogue and stuff like that. Um, and it has lengthy but not excessive cutscenes. And a lot of characterization, a lot of style, really, really beautiful graphics and scenery. I had to tweak it a little bit because apparently it was locked at 30 frames per second. But uh, on the Steam community, there's uh, tips on how you can unlock it or set it to specific frame rates. So it runs at full frame rate on my machine, which is nice. Nice. So that's a really cool game. I don't. I'm sure I won't be able to stick with it because I'm learning like all these multi-button combos and stuff like that, and I'll probably get lost in the details. But I'm having a good time with that. Um, one that I picked up for a dollar is called Die Hard Dungeon, which is a little bit like um, uh, a little bit like Binding of Isaac. It's a top-down, kill all the monsters in a room and then walk over to the next room kind of a game, and it has randomized pickups, stuff like that. So you have like this little dagger with very short reach but pretty good damage, and you have this gun that shoots these cannonball things and you can bounce an enemy away by hitting it with a cannonball, and then after like a second the cannonball explodes. So you have to keep the enemies at a certain distance if you want the explosion to hurt them, otherwise you can bounce them away from you by just bouncing the cannonball off of them. It's surprisingly fun. I think I put a couple of hours into that or so. Die Hard, die hard Dungeon. Really, really good time with that. Can't believe it was a buck. 
Yeah, I think I've heard of that one. It's, uh, I don't know if it's still on sale, but even if it's not on sale, it's totally worth it. Um, the last one that I've been playing is Elite Dangerous, which I picked up for the first time in a while. I, I bought that when it was almost brand new. That's around when I bought my new computer, and that was... That was a space game? Yeah, it's like a first, uh, first person, you're always in the cockpit kind of a game where you start off in a little spaceship with not a lot of upgrades, and you can either be a bounty hunter or a pirate, or you can be a, a miner or a merchant or something. Basically like a survival game, but in space. And there's like literally millions or billions of different systems you can visit. Each one has like five or ten or twenty planets or something in each of the systems. And uh, it's just like enormous in scope. And it's also massively multiplayer. So considering the size of it, it's rare that you see another real player. I don't think I ever have in the months that I've been playing it. Mm. But it's kind of like a violent Euro truck simulator in space. <laughs> So it's that a, was one of the ones that was going up as like a competitor for Star Citizen, yeah? Yeah, it is. Well, Star Citizen is kind of based on the original Elite from 1982 or whatever it is. There's, a, oh. there's been a lot of games kind of this genre that follow the lead of the original Elite. Star Citizen is going to be pretty similar. I think it's going to have a lot more complexity. It has like You can get out of your ship and all that in uh, Star Citizen, whereas at least for now in Elite Dangerous, you're always in the cockpit of your ship. And that just gives such amazing continuity. Like, you feel like you're sitting right in that cockpit. And when you land on a space station, which is one of the hardest and most rewarding things you can do in a game, is just to land safely anywhere. I love that. It took me a wh- quite a while to figure out how you're supposed to land. And now that I can do it, it feels rewarding every single time. That's very cool. So just landing on a space station, and then you, like, bring up the menus inside the space station to refuel and to repair and all of that. It, it feels great. But um, I have not gotten any better at this game, though, over time. It's just so... There's so much depth and so much complexity that I haven't grasped a lot of it, and I haven't kind of played it faithfully enough to get into all of that stuff. So at first when I was playing the game, I don't know if it's because of the zones I was in or if it was luck, but I didn't die once for, like, three months. And now in the past two days, I've died, like, four times. So luckily, my I have this really crappy, meager equipment in a, in a inexpensive ship, so it's really cheap for me to replace. But I'm getting sick and tired of replacing it. I want to win a few battles. Nope, not, not going to happen. Nope, not nope, going to nope. happen. <laughs> oh, and um, one of the bulletin board missions that I picked up made me laugh, because I had to kill a guy named Yeast Boy in a sector called Bajoji. <laughs> so every now and then I would get a little pop-up. Kill Yeast Boy in Bajoji. Well, that was fun to see. And then I, I couldn't find him. I went to the zone, the Bajoji zone. Bajoji. And I, Bajoji. And I saw him a few times. Bajoji. And I have this interdiction ray or something. Like, you have this hyperspace thing called Bajoji. The, stop Bajojiing. You put your interdiction in the Bajoji? <laughs> That's exactly what I did, as a matter of fact. But I couldn't, I couldn't seal the deal. Uh, I got it behind him, but I, he, he, he uh, was too slippery for me. <laughs> so East Boy got away. Oh, let's 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 uh, stop this analogy <laughs> short of yeast boy, shall we? <laughs> All right. On that high note, why don't we go ahead and proceed to our main topic now, which is to which is uh, game design and game development as a hobby. So, Anton, you already gave us a bit of a background on uh, how you got started on that. So, you said you started off with QBasic, and then um, eventually you went on to take a course where you learned. Uh, Game Maker, 
Mm-hmm. Are those the only two platforms that you've used? Mm, I've made. Uh, I've always tinkered around lately. The past few years with Python. <laughs> um, I created a text engine um, based off of mudding, mm. where you know you could go and create your uh, your areas in the text game. So there was like the the whole thing of uh, creating an area, how many rooms to give it. Um, you could go in and create the description for the rooms and made a little uh, text editor that you use in there. Um, and create the, the enemies and set their stats and their weaknesses and offenses and all that. And the, uh, the uh, objects, too. Um, I was going to actually try to make one that was based on Battlefield. It would be like a, a text-based Battlefield game. Wow. Yeah, where you could actually go and like take cover behind objects, um, which would make it harder for people to hit you. Uh, you could go inside of houses, you know, upstairs, downstairs. Um, you could destroy the houses. You could destroy, you know, the covers that the people are under. Um, it was pretty ambitious, and and I believe I can do it. I just there was a point where I just got to a, a frustrating part, and I took a break. And then that break turned into like a three-year break from it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I played around with that. I played around with a lot of different engines. Um, I can't use Unity. I don't know 3D crap at all. Uh, Stencil I played around with a little bit. RPG Maker I played around with a little bit. Love. Um, gosh, there's so many. So many engines out there. It's really a great time to, you know be somebody who likes to make games. Oh, it sure is. Do you try any of the uh, adventure game, uh, point-and-click kind of uh, engines, like Adventure Game Studio or... I think I tried AGS once or twice. (laughs) And um, one thing that always stops me with games creation programs is the requirement for having graphics. And I just can't draw. I can't draw for shit. And so that's why I'm always drawn towards, like... uh, text-based games because I don't have to draw nothing. It adds a lot more complexity when you have to worry about the physical world as well. Kind of text-based, you can go at whatever pace you want. Yeah, text-based is you just draw with words and that's fine. I can I can write pretty well. Hmm. I can't draw for shit. Yeah, um, I know where you're coming from. The more assets you have to add to your game, the slower it all goes, right? Yeah, and it's frustrating too because like, I'll try to draw something and I'm just like, this is not how a person looks. And then I just get frustrated and say, you know what, forget it. I'll just do something else for now. You can't sure. be a worse drawer than uh, Brian here. Yeah, no, you can't. Um, it, it takes sure special talent to be uh, worse than him. If you ever want to feel better about your drawing, then ask me to do something for you. Trust me. <laughs> we might be on the same level, though, because I'm, I'm pretty bad. Could be. So um, can you tell us about some of the games that you've created? Hmm... Some of the games I created. Well, I told you about Infection. Mm-hmm. And then I told you about Pie Punchers. Yes. Um, another one I made that was on the stupidity level of Pie Punchers was uh, after I had heard about I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Mm. Um, it was becoming really popular because it had just gotten released on God or something. Yeah. I never heard about it until then. And so I kept hearing about it and hearing about it and hearing about it, and I was getting sick of hearing the name. And so I created a game called I Have No Energy to Get Out of Bed and I Must Pee. Nice. And so it was a single level. I was supposed to work on it more. 
Um, I got some feedback from it that it was incredibly funny, and it should be up on Newgrounds. Um, but anyway, I just took a picture of a bedroom, and I drew a stick figure laying down on the bed. And the point of the game is that uh, you have to press a button repeatedly to build up your uh, energy level. And next to that is your P level rising. And so you have to beat the P level from reaching the top with your energy level. And if you do that, congratulations, you were managed, you managed to get out of bed and pee before you peed yourself. And if you don't, then you get shown a big, messy splotch of yellow lines all over your crotch. And congratulations, you peed on yourself. That's great. And it plays the uh, the Benny Hill song while you're pressing the button. <laughs> so you're sitting there racing your things, and it's all... <laughs> and so it, it's really... Uh, it, it made me laugh my ass off making it and playing it. And a couple of people I showed it to, they were laughing their ass off, and they wanted more levels. And so I might do that eventually. I was thinking the next level might be you standing in line at the ATM before work or something. And, uh, oh my god, you gotta get out of here before you pee your pants. <laughs> and I was thinking maybe switching it up to do different things too, like a, like a typing, like a typing skill thing. Like words might fly across the screen, you gotta type them if you mess up. And, you know, that might lower your, your bar a bit of holding your pee in. <laughs> and so you might end up peeing, your, peeing yourself in line at the ATM. That's too cool. You know, this actually reminds me of two other games. Um, one of them is made by a friend of the podcast, Ben Chandler. He made a game called Piss. <laughs> and despite the crass name, it's actually like a beautiful game. It's it's like, I don't know how many hours long it is. It's like two or three hours long, an adventure game with um, characters and backgrounds that he does himself because he's an incredible artist. We've actually oh got gosh, one of his paintings in our, in our living room. Mm-hmm. He's um, such a good artist. And he has this really awesome metaphor for, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's like a metaphor for um, having a great idea, but uh, having trouble turning it into a game or having trouble turning it into a, a finished product, going back to our conversation at the beginning. And it's like a metaphor about piss where like, I'm going to get this wrong. Like you really, you really have to pee and it's like an idea that's inside of you. But you don't feel like getting up, and so it's easier to just like sit there having to pee, but not pee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally getting it wrong. He found this amazing way of turning having to pee into something kind of poetic and beautiful and true. <laughs> believe it or not, but I so I'm gonna I'm gonna link to this for sure. This game Piss is a beautiful, fantastic free game, and it's like a oh, right. science fiction. It's a science fiction game about like an assassin. It's like <laughs> ridiculous how serious and phenomenal oh, this geez. game is. And I'm just over here literally making a game about pissing yourself or not. That's too funny. <laughs> and so the other one that it reminds me of is made by whatever this studio is called that made Rogue. Uh, oh shit, Rogue something. Fuck. Galaxy. Rogue, Rogue Galaxy. That's a PS2 game. Rogue Legacy. Very uh. close. Um, it's a game called Don't Shit Yourself. <laughs> and it's kind of like a Newgrounds style. Uh, it's kind of like a room escape game where you have to click the right things, otherwise you you shit your pants. I think I've played that on Newgrounds, it's, or at least a you know don't shit yourself game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, something tells me knowing Newgrounds is probably like that's like a genre. I bet I love Newgrounds. 
Latin, um, congregate. Congregate's good, too. Yes, it is. Congregate is like professional Newgrounds, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's like for, it's Newgrounds for, for people that are 10 years older, basically. <laughs> I was a fan of Newgrounds in maybe as early as the 90s. I don't know. And I actually had a, a DJ radio show on their streaming uh, site, which used to be called Radio Grounds. It's gone now. But I had a, a weekly DJ show for almost two years with them. I love Newgrounds. All right. Um, uh, I'm curious to hear why. Why do you make games? I don't know. I've just always done it, I guess. Like I said, ever since we got that Tandy 1000, um, I've just been typing away. And then I found uh, Basic on there. Um, I had a cousin who was always programming stuff. He made a he made a Pac-Man clone called Recycle Man. Hmm. And uh, he was always uh, giving me code snippets and um, kind of got, I think he might have gotten me into game programming or programming in general. Hmm. And, uh, and so I've just always liked video games and I've always liked the idea of making them. And like I said, with those, uh, with those CDs I had that had like all those different programs, all of them, a lot of them were written in basic. So I could open up the source code and, and see how they were made. And I would change this or that and play the game and see the difference in the game. And I'd be like, oh, it's cool. Oh, right on. Yeah, so it was always, like, I always enjoyed playing them. I figured, you know, making them would be fun, too. And the programming aspect of it is pretty fun, being able to set up some challenges for yourself and solve them and see that your, your ideas, you know, come to life. Your attitude <laughs> is much better than mine in that respect. I hate programming <laughs> so much. I like it. I'm not good with like all the math stuff because I've never been really good at math. But like I can, I can sit down and get stuff done. And that's kind of why I, I was asking for uh, advice on what to make. It's like I feel like if I'm making something for somebody else, or if somebody tells me to make something and gives me a challenge, then you know it's like a test for myself. I want to do it. You know, I want to do it for myself, and I want to make it for them too. Um, so coming up with something myself. And finishing it myself is not always the strongest motivator for me. It seems to be if somebody else wants me to make something, you know, then that's the challenge that I would complete. Oh, well, that being said, have you ever participated in a game jam? Yeah, actually, this most recent Ludum Dare, if I'm saying that right, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure none of us know how to say that right. <laughs> um, that's how I, I say it. I signed up for that. Oh, what was the theme this time? Because it didn't really seem like I signed up for anything. Oh, I just made an account monster? on a forum, basically. Oh, you're the monster? Oh, you were the monster? Was that the most recent theme? Yeah, because yeah. we were going to do it, but you're like, I don't want to do this, even though I volunteered to draw the assets for you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was so late. I did make a little bit of progress on that, but I didn't finish. I gave up. I decided that I was not uh, comfortable enough in trying to complete a game with that kind of a deadline. Um, I needed more experience actually completing games before actually having a, a time to do it. Um, so the furthest I got was just making a map screen, and it was kind of based on the Shin Megami Tensei games, where it like has an overview of a city and just a couple of hot, you know, hot spots to take you to different areas of town. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was an actual 
uh, screen grab of a map of my city. Oh. And then I drew, you know, the little dots on the screen and had them highlight and uh, show the area of the town that you would be going to and the little description of it and had a little background music, but that was it. That's right. I've After looked that, for whatever reason I've looked at a map of your city and it's a pretty small place. It's perfect as yeah. a video game map actually. Oh, yeah, it was, and like it didn't even matter that the places that I put the hotspots on were nothing like what was described. Well, I guess a couple of were. The supermarket, um, the store is there, and the school, the school is there. But my home and the downtown area are, are not where they are really. Mm. But I figured, you know, it didn't matter. Nobody knows. It's just a map. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, you probably don't want to put your your house on a map that you're publishing on the internet anyway. Yeah, yeah. Here's where I live. Mm-hmm. But after that, I decided to sign up for the one game a month. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. That's pretty ambitious. Yeah, it's one game a month. You have uh, a theme given every month, and you have a whole bus to make it. Hmm. And you can start whenever. You can end whenever. There's no pressure at all. It's just kind of a motivator to get you to make games, you know? Oh, that's cool. So this month's challenge is my first and the theme is 30 seconds. Hmm. So I've been tossing around ideas for what to make a game based on 30 seconds. And I've mostly come up with like a, a stealth action, um, get in the building, find the bomb and disarm it kind of game. But uh, I'm not quite sure. Might just do the, the bomb disarming itself as a game. Some kind of puzzle, disarm the bomb kind of thing in 30 seconds. Hmm. I've uh, thought about an idea of making a, some kind of top-down shooter where every 30 seconds something happens. Like, you might get extra health or the enemies might become stronger every 30 seconds or something. Uh, some kind of, like, a time trial, see how long we can last type game. So, there's... I feel that's better for me right now. And then maybe after I get some of those type of games finished, I might be able to actually complete a loot them there. Yeah, the first looting dare I lasted like a day and I gave up. It was just way too stressful. My ideas kept changing. And uh it just kept getting bigger in scope and I didn't at the end didn't really know what to do with it. So mm-hmm. one of my favorite developers, Terry Kavanaugh, who did Super Hexagon and VVVVV, he uh is like notorious for signing up for really short game jams and then his ideas go way, 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 way out of scope and they turn into seven-day things and they turn into like 21-day things. And then he either publishes it or he doesn't. So Yeah, not, he not was working on some kind of thing that looked like with a, a truck of some kind or a car or something. Oh, yeah? Yeah, for that uh, loading there. Mm. Yeah, oh, he's I, really awesome. He did, he's incredible. I seem to remember him doing something that looked kind of like a roguelike where nobody moves unless you move. Oh, yeah. Um... He, he posts a lot of screenshots of the awesome stuff he yeah. works on, though. Yeah, and then he made that sound program. That just came out of left field. He's oh, like, oh yeah. by the way, he made a sound program. But I don't know how to pronounce it. I just Bos- call it Bosca. Bosca Sioli or something. Something like that. It's like yeah. Gaelic or something. So even if I knew how it was pronounced, I couldn't <laughs> turn, put my mouth in that shape. But I've written a few songs with that, and I love it. I actually, um, when I did a Ludum... I've only done one Ludum Dare. I don't remember which number it was. I think you? it was 27? 20, okay. And it was a similar theme to the one you mentioned. Uh, the one that we did, the theme was 10 seconds. 
Why don't you talk about your your time is limited, so Bianca, why don't you talk about that? Well, I'm project. Uh, contemplating just uh, not being able to go go because. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I'm actually not going to be leaving. Oh, okay. So I'll be back in a moment. I'm just going to make a quick phone call, and I will uh, be continuing. Oh. Well, then, why don't I talk about my little dare game, then? Um, I, uh, for the theme of 10 seconds, just like you, my scope kept changing over and over and over. It's 60 seconds, and you divided yours into 10. No, it was 10 seconds. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure, damn it. <laughs> the theme was 10 I seconds. Get, I'm you. I'm telling my story. <laughs> um... So, yeah, theme was 10 seconds. So first I was thinking I wanted – the idea that I did have was I wanted people to kind of have to make a really a bunch of really quick decisions. And either the game itself would only be 10 seconds long or maybe people have 10 seconds to make each decision. But my programming ability is so rudimentary that I didn't even know how to do that much. I was thinking, you know, I don't know a programming language well enough to do that. Maybe basic, but how am I going to publish that to people? I wanted it to be something people could actually play. So I then looked into trying to make something either with Google presentations or with PowerPoint, because I'm really good with PowerPoint. I've actually made games with PowerPoint before. Well, that reminds me of trying to make little games in uh, HyperCard. On the, on oh, the yeah. That's very similar. That's for, like, Myst-style games, I guess yeah. you would say, uh, like uh, Gift Maps. Um, yeah, Dungeon Crawlers or something. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, ended up making a game that was sort of like a fortune teller sort of a thing where you were given a scenario and you can choose like option one, two, three, or four. And then each of those options, you had four more options for a total of 16 options. And I was hoping to make it so that people only had 10, shut up bird. I was hoping you had the, the option to have people only have 10 seconds to make their choice before they got the bad ending or something, but I couldn't get that to work properly. So in the end, I used the uh, Bosca music software, and I wrote a 10-second song for each of those 16 uh, options, and the song kind of reflected the tone of what was happening. And for one of them, like one of those options where it tells your fortune, it says that you like fall down a hill and break your face or something. And so I, <laughs> I wrote that in like music format, where I used like percussion and stuff to make it sound like you were falling down a hill and smashing something. Nice. So that was a good time. That was That was... So my scope kind of went down and down and down over the course of that weekend, but I was proud of myself that I did finish it. And in the end, it was just like a bunch of static HTML pages with a style sheet and um, an HTML5 music player command to play the cool. MP3s. That's um, cool. That's kind of different. It was kind of different. The, one of the recurring comments I got from the feedback was, quote unquote, but, but is it a game? <laughs> and I guess it wasn't really a game. But I was like in the top, I think I was in the top 100 for music and for humor, which was kind of cool. That was very rewarding. And the rest I did horrible. And I was like number 3,800 or something for graphics because it was just text. And I don't even think there was an option for text-based stuff. But it was very rewarding. I just remember being so exhausted. So, so, so exhausted. Even though it was like, I could have done this like the year I learned HTML. Yes. That was fun. Competitions, that's one thing, too. Like, I see so many people talking about how wiped out they are after them. Yeah. Well, some people, like, forego sleep and all that, and we I wasn't didn't. that dedicated. No, we didn't. Bianca, why don't you talk about your uh, Little Dare game? Yep, I will. I'm just going to look it up and see if I can find it. Yeah, see, the reason I know the theme was 10 seconds was because my game was called 40 in 10, 
and it's uh, like a fortune-telling thing saying, uh, choose and learn your destiny at 40 years of age. So it would, it would tell you what you'll be doing when you're 40 years old, and then it would play a 10-second song. <laughs> what was your game called? I think it was either 10... Yours was called 10-second bureaucrat or something, wasn't it? Yeah. I wonder if, I can, if it's still listed. Let's see. I'll find it for you. Why don't you tell people about it? Well, basically, I uh, using Twine, I created um, a, a game with uh, multiple options. And so you went through a... Um... Oh. Oh, gosh. There's your song. Thank you. She wrote a song, too. And my song actually proved to be more popular than his. She got so many compliments on the music. I got so many... Comments putting down my music. <laughs> and I have absolutely... Z- I couldn't carry two in the bucket to save my life. <laughs> anyway. It has some kind of Animaniacs kind of <laughs> shenanigans sound to it. It does. Yeah, so, it's like Animaniacs versus the, the Headhunter Cannibal Tribe kind of music. Yeah, so basically it's um, it was for Ludum Dare 27. And it was called 10 Seconds. So my 10 Second Bureaucrat... And every decision you have to make, you have 10 seconds to do it. Well, not like literally like 10 seconds because it's a text-based adventure game. Oh, yeah. You made it with Twine. Yeah, I made it with Twine. And essentially, you're a, um, you're a Soviet bureaucrat. <laughs> oh, yeah. This was inspired by... Um, what's the game you were playing? Papers, Please. Right. Oh. Another great game. I haven't played it in a while. And I, I have actually finished it. Including, you know, being executed for treason against the state. <laughs> and I have escaped. I've got a few, a couple of the different endings. I just haven't gotten that quote-unquote happy ending yet. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, you, this was a pretty impressive branching choose-your-own-adventure kind of a game. Mm-hmm. And, what's, and the thing is, I made a decision at the start to have uh, your first decision to be reflected in, in, what, in what end result you get. And, but it's not predictable enough. Mm-hmm. So you pick an end result, and then you have to try to figure out the right answers that get you there? Yes. Ooh. Sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you had a special treat. Um, you got to watch somebody on YouTube mm-hmm. who was going through a whole bunch of uh, games from that competition and uh, like playing through them on camera and commenting on them. Yep. Why don't you, can you talk about that experience? Oh, that was so... I I was blown away by the fact that somebody actually took the time to record and play through my little game. It was amazing. I never I didn't I was I was doing this just for my own amusement. I wasn't expecting much, but I wound up being brought. But I, I wound up being uh, my game wound up being featured in somebody's little YouTube video, and it was all it made me gave me a nice warm happy feeling. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it is. And I believe I actually got <laughs> a higher score than uh, Brian. You did in some aspects. Overall, I did. Let me, let me see if I can find yours. I probably can't. Uh, oh, go back up to the top. Oh, how did I do? Let's see. I was number 95 in audio and number 198 in humor and number 1,194 for graphics and 1,143 overall. Yeah, overall, you did better than me. I was happy to be in the top 100 for music. Mm-hmm. Let's see. So many of my comments were, there's no music. I can't get it to work. I'm blocking all scripts on all websites. Why doesn't your game work? <laughs> oh, I want to slap people. So they, like, penalize me for that. 
I actually did do another game that was alongside of a Ludum Dare, but I didn't join the Ludum Dare. Mm-hmm. And it was a couple of years ago. It was the minimalism thing. Oh, yes. Did you guys do either? Did any of you guys do that one? No, this is the only one that we participated in. Oh, I, okay. I feel like we should do more, though. Uh, yeah, tell it's us, pretty fun. Yeah, tell us about your experience for that one. I uh, decided to make a game called Helen Keller the Platformer. <laughs> where uh, Helen Keller is blind and deaf and mute, obviously, but that didn't matter. Um, so basically, she can't see or hear, but she can feel. And I imagine her kind of memorizing her world in her mind by feeling where everything is, you know? Like mm-hmm. she knows where the doorway is, and she knows that it's like 10 steps to the stairs or whatever. Uh, and like 15 steps up so she can learn to navigate in her mind based on the things that she feels and so the game is this it's just a single level uh puzzle platformer where you only the only tiles that you see are whatever you're touching so like the entire screen is white and all you see below you is one black line because that's the top of the tile that you're standing on and uh if you scoot over a little bit you could have two tiles and then you get fully onto the second tile you only see that one again and so you gotta uh, feel your way around jumping around the uh the, the little platform thing i set up um to get her home and i said that she knows her home is in the lower right corner of the screen mm. so i could tell the players you know this is your destination and so uh you know you just you gotta remember the you're gonna die a lot <laughs> obviously and so you just got to kind of remember where everything is. Hmm. And I think that's kind of maybe how, you know, a blind or deaf person, well, obviously blind, uh, would kind of figure out their world. You know, they would have to remember everything, where everything is. And uh, so they can get through their life. That's and neat. So, it's kind of like a dolphin or a bat using like echolocation sort of. You start off knowing nothing and you learn little by little. Yep. I thought about having it if you go through it enough times where, you know, the ground would actually start to stay present because you would know where things are. Uh, but I didn't do that. Mm. I just left it blank so you would just have to remember yourself. And it's, uh, my favorite part of it is the, uh, the very first jump because um, you can kind of sneak forward, you know, just tap, tap, tap and move forward a little bit. And then you notice that you're about on a pit. You know, because there's no, because um, you're standing on a, a tile and you're halfway off of it, but the next tile is not lighting up. So you know there's a pit there. Hmm. So you figure, oh, I'm going to jump. And so you jump over the pit, but you hit your head on that thing right above the pit. Ah. And that makes you fall down. Nice. So, like, right away, pretty much everybody always dies right there. It's fucking hilarious. Huh. Well, yeah, that's I played great. through it again recently. It took me, like, 15, 20 tries to actually try to get through it. So, like, even for me being the creator, I couldn't remember shit. Oh, that's nice. How do you how do you feel uh, going back to play old games that you created? Are you, like, ashamed of them or proud of them or both? I'm usually just proud of myself for actually finishing something. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really too hard on myself for, you know, these games at all. Like, I'll go back and play them just because I'm bored. Um, I obviously use them to look at ideas of how I could better myself and hmm. things I could do better. But you know, I'm not really ashamed at all of anything I've made. That's good. 
That's I don't think I think. ever will be either. That's very good. That's not a. I don't think that's a healthy attitude. I mean, other people might be ashamed for you, but that's that's <laughs> their right, you know. That's if, their hang-up, sure. Well, not everybody has that attitude. I was talking. I think I mentioned this in my last podcast, actually, but I'll mention it again because it's relevant. Uh, this guy I keep bringing up, Ben Chandler. Hi, Ben. Um, he was my guest on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago last. Every time you mention his name, I hear that stupid song in my head about a stupid sweet thing. I know. Ah, that stupid song. It's your oh, fault. Well, we're talking about... Okay, I'll, I'll remember to put that in the show notes, too. Ben Chandler, paranormal investigator. But uh, Ben uh, has been making free adventure games for probably about 10 years or something now. Now that he And now he actually does it uh, full-time for a living. Uh, in addition to uh, art and animation and music and writing and programming and all this stuff, amazingly <laughs> talented guy. So he has an incredible repertoire of old games that he's created, and it's all stuff to be very proud of, I think. Um, recently, the web host where he was storing all of his free stuff seemed to ha have gone down. So, And this was right before he came on the podcast, and I wanted to include links to his stuff on the podcast. So I asked him, oh, do you have this stuff hosted anywhere else? And he said, oh, I haven't been bothered yet. So I'm like, oh, you should be proud of it. This is all your old stuff. And uh, you should be proud of where you came from and let people see how far you've come and all that kind of stuff. And he said he just kind of doesn't really care. He said he's he's focused on what he's doing now and he doesn't really care about what he did in the past. Hmm. So that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting uh, uh, perspective to have as well. I guess that's the sign of a professional doing what he loves, I suppose. The fact that he's in the middle of doing what he thinks matters most and doesn't care about the past. That's exactly how uh, John Carmack who made Doom has always been. True, but at the same time, nostalgic. it's also good to uh, acknowledge your past because it's uh, it uh, determines who you are now. And it's uh, even if you've learned from it and you're different from what you were, it uh, it's part of who you become. Who you become, because even if you came, even if you've done stupid shit and you bounced back from it, it's still part of you and it's there. It's your experience, and it it shaped you as a game as a game maker, whether you're doing it professionally. Or as a hobbyist. But I wonder if, like, a skilled painter still has, you know, their early drawings of, you know, crayon flowers and stuff that were hung on the fridge. Yeah, that's uh, a good question. I wonder if there's pe if there's different kinds of art that kind of are not so painful to look at. A musician, I don't know. I wonder if a musician would be more inclined to listen to an old song of theirs than an old paint a painter might be to see an old painting of theirs. What about a writer looking at their old writing? I yeah. Mean, it's pain. I've I tried to look at some of my old writing, but I'm going. Oh gosh, what was I thinking? Then again, I'm like, I was 15. I was writing some pretty sadistic crap. Yeah, see, that's how I feel about the writing that I did when I was 15. But I also wrote songs when I was 15, and I kind of love those. Yeah, I guess it depends on the medium or how or the amount of effort you put in. Or yeah, that's a good point. How much better you've gotten since then? I'm not. I'm not really any or better. Or you actually songs. did a good job the first time around, and you're proud of what you did. Because it represents the uh, best, it, it represents the uh, pinnacle of your skill. Even though it's, uh, even though you've probably gotten better over the years, it represented your pinnacle, the pinnacle of your skills at those times, and it's a good representation of how much better you can be because of the effort you've done. Very true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, what else are we going to talk about? Oh, what about the game you made? The one with the burger, like the whole uh, like psychedelic experience. Oh, I remember that. It was like you had a text game or you in a restaurant. Oh, yeah. Oh, did you play that, Anton? Yeah. Oh, cool. Thank you. I don't know how Were many. You, didn't you get Henry or 
Was it Henry Smola who did the song for that? That's right. I did get or Henry Smola. Or was it uh, DJ Phoenix? Yeah, it was Henry Smola. Yeah. yeah. And I remember you struggling trying to figure out how you could, you know, you wouldn't progress until you had like done something with the uh, window separating you and the uh, chauffeur. Yeah, that's right. I had one puzzle in that game. So this is, I'll back it up. This is a game that I made. I'd already made a few games with like Twine and HTML. This was after my Ludum Dare game. And I'm like, okay, I want to take it a step up and do something more difficult. So I found this engine called Quest, which I think is at textadventures.co.uk, something like that, um, where you can make like uh, an Infocom-style text adventure game. It's a great little engine, and it has like a Windows-installable version of the uh, IDE or whatever you call it, or there's like a web-based thing that you can build your whole game inside a web applet as well, which worked out really, really well for the most part. The web one is fine if you want to use like all of the plain vanilla bundled functionality, but you want the downloadable version if you want to edit the code or anything or do something fancy, which I really didn't want to do. So for quite some time, I was thinking about what could I make a game about, and I'm like, okay, I'll make a game about this real asshole jerk of a man who has a humbling experience eating a magical hamburger. And that was basically my whole concept. And so I You come up to- with these great ideas that are like way out of left field. <laughs> oh, thank Love you. It. Thank you. That's that's all I'm good for. Ideas. I'm no well, thank you. I'm I'm not good at execution, but I, I <laughs> do try to come up with some ideas. I mean, that's not even really a game necessarily. That's just a premise. That could be a movie or a story or a book or whatever. So I decided to make a game out of it. So this game only had one puzzle. I mean, for the most part, building this game was pretty easy. I first uh, first I kind of came up with like a series of events, like a plot, and. Then I uh, put it into um, Twine, where I kind of mocked it up into storyboard, sort of, where I said, if you do this, then this will happen. I think there was only really one meaningful choice. It's not even meaningful. There's, like, one random choice that you can make in my game, and if you do it, then you get one ending, and if you don't, then you get another ending. And there's one puzzle. Mm-hmm. And this puzzle was that you're riding around in a limousine, and the because you're this, like, asshole rich guy going to a super fancy restaurant, and you won't take a taxi because it's beneath you. So you're in this limousine, and the chauffeur won't shut the hell up, and you're too much of a snob to endure him, so the puzzle is to close the window between you and the chauffeur so you don't have to listen to him blathering on. So this was hard. I got stuck for at least a month or a month and a half trying to figure out how to do this. Um, Basically, and it sounds so easy. Like I kind of did a pseudocode version of it first, and it seemed like dead easy to me how you do this. I was just struggling with the syntax and with uh, Mm -hmm. making it work in this new engine. It was really pissing me off. I talked to friends about how they would do it and stuff like that, and it didn't work for them either. Um, Where basically I wanted it to be that every time, it's like a turn-based thing in a text adventure where you can, you have the prompt to type something. You type something, and then like a turn goes by, and you do your action, and maybe something happens in the world during that time, and then it prompts you again to take the next turn. So I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be that it would, the, the driver would say one of like 20 different things once per turn. Um, and it wasn't quite so obvious that you want him to shut up. He's just talking to you, talking to you, talking to you. Um, I couldn't figure out how to do the randomized thing once per turn. And then I wanted to do something where... What was it? I don't know. I just wanted to have like a turn counter or something, I think, where if a certain number of turns had gone by, then it would start to say some other thing, and it would, you, would, you would get more impatient. Um, and I couldn't figure out how to do that either. And in the end, I didn't even use the proper method 
for, it was like a for loop or something like that. I didn't even use the proper method for counting the turns or for making a recurring action happen. I just had to rethink my whole puzzle and make it a lot more simple. And I just got it done. Uh, just, just to be done, because I figured I'd wasted enough time on it. So, I mean, it's in there, and it's something, but the puzzle is nowhere near what I wanted it to be, and it's not fun, and it doesn't really further the, the game. It just kind of develops the character a little bit, I suppose, because that's how important it is to you that the driver shuts up. You can't get to your <laughs> destination until you shut this, what, this like, blue-collar slob up. Yeah. So, in the end, I was very proud of this game. Oh, something else I should mention about this game. There was another Henry that I have to thank for this game, and this is a guy named Henry Faber who uh, is one of the co-founders of a game development studio in Toronto called Bento Miso. Um, not really a game development studio, but it's like a co-working location where people who are self-employed and making their own indie games, they can, if they want to, they can pay uh, a fee and work from Bento Miso one day a week or every day a week or something like that. It's just basically a, a rental office where you're surrounded hmm. by people making games. It's like a, It's like a magical, amazing place to be. Um, so I worked from there during most of the game, like one, one, uh, day a week, I would, I would often go on a weekend or something like that. Well, I would, if I, if I, it wasn't one day a week, I think it was one day a month. Mm-hmm. I would do most of my work at home. And then one day a month, I would go on a Saturday and spend all day working on it. And they also had another event. I think it's still going on. He calls it club getter done. Oh, where yes. Get her done. <laughs> and uh, every, so it's every, the first Wednesday of the month, I think, or the last Wednesday of the month, um, you go after hours, and at 7.30 p.m. until 10 o'clock or so, the first thing you do is tell everybody, what are you working on, how much progress did you make since last week, and what do you want to have accomplished by next week? And then once everybody said it, then you just kind of keep working until you feel like going home. And so it was really helpful for me to state my goals that clearly it was kind of a project management trick and you feel accountable when you say I want to have this accomplished by next week and you feel hmm. kind of ashamed about it if you yeah, it sounds like a support it's group it's very much like a support group it's like hi my name is Brian and I'm a game developer hi yeah. my name is Brian and I procrastinate <laughs> exactly it's procrastaholics anonymous <laughs> that's basically it so I, I really have to thank Henry Faber for facilitating that for coming up with that idea and uh, and the people at Bento Miso for being so cool about it. And in the very end, when I finally finished my game, he invited me to a couple of events. Number one, he invited me to come in one day to work some more and to polish it off. And then he uh, like announced to everyone in the place, like, here I am, this like poser who's made one real game, if you can even call this like 15-minute text adventure a real game. And he asked me to come up and like... Uh, give a little presentation and tell everybody a little bit about what I, what I made and what's the premise and to give a quick playthrough on a projector. And I learned how hard it is to actually describe a game that you've been working on for a long time. I had so much trouble thinking of like three sentences to summarize it. And then how awkward it is to try to demonstrate a text adventure game on a projector and like yeah. have people all the way across the room see anything at all. Enhanced. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so the other thing he invited me to, every Monday at Bento Miso, they have, what's it called? They, they have like a game night sort of a thing where they, uh, people can get, they can either stay late if they work there already or they can come from home and they come to their office and everybody plays games together. And they play like card games and board games, they play video games. And it's also an opportunity for people to show off their, their games that are either finished or in progress. 
and to get feedback from people. So I brought my uh, laptop that day and was very happy that three people played my game from start to finish. And I was so uh, I was so honored to have anyone play my game whatsoever. So that was an intensely positive experience. I didn't I never thought that like a social aspect would be important to game development, but it was very very important to me. So nice. that was really yeah. Nice. It sounds like it'd be a good thing to have. It yeah. really was. Yeah. And I've discontinued with that for now, just because I didn't want to spend the money on it, and I haven't been serious about game development yeah. since that one game because I think it almost killed me. Yeah. It did. Speaking of games, I actually, while he was just talking, it made me remember I that I made one other game in Twine before I made my 10-second uh, bureaucrat. This is the stupidest piece of shit ever, but I want to link it because I'm kind of proud of it. Because, Did you make me this for my birthday one year? Um, when, I don't remember when I made it. She According might have. the date on the file, let's see. What the, what the fuck is the date on this stupid file? Um... Properties. The date on this file is September twelfth. Yeah, you did make me that for my birthday. Uh, no, that was I tried to upload. Oh, that's it. when you opened it now. Oh, it is September twelfth. Yeah, I did it. I actually, I'm looking on my computer for it, and I know it worked. Well, anyway, I'll find it again. It's on my computer somewhere. Okay. Anyway, what were you saying about it? Anyway, so I'm was not particularly proud of it, but at the same time, I was kind of I was just remembering it and just. I wasn't proud of what I wrote, but I'm proud that I made a game from start to finish on my first attempt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is a twine game. Yep. My first twine game. Oh, tell us about it. It's the Barley Fetch Quest. But I start <laughs> you off fighting it, but, but you start off at the end having defeated this dragon. Start off at the end? Yeah, you basically, you, you start after the dragon's been defeated. So instead of, you know, fighting the dragon, I start, it's like what happens after you've defeated the dragon. And you have to, you know, then get your character home after making a series of decisions. Yeah, that's right. So where did Barley come into play? It's because you were ultimately sent out to bring Barley back home. Unfortunately, you got sidetracked. Okay. What is that as much as you have to say about it? Well, yeah, I'm going to link to it. That way people can play. <laughs> oh, that's true. I seem to remember being lulled into a sense of security in this game. <laughs> like, you take three steps to smell a daffodil, but all of a sudden an anvil falls out of a plane and crushes your head or something. Yeah, pretty much. There's a few traps like that. It was very perilous. <laughs> Extremely perilous. <laughs> I wanted to say one more thing about my game, by the way. Go right ahead. And thank you, Anton, for reminding me about Henry Smollett's involvement. So I did want to have music in this game, and I was thinking originally that, you know, I'm a, I'm a musician, I'm a composer, I want to make my own music for this. It was actually very important to me to make music for my own game. But I thought about it a little bit. I thought about another experience that I had when I was working, I won't go into depth about it because we're talking about it, game de design as a hobby, game development as a hobby, but I did work on a commercial game once, a very small uh, one for a, a social game, like a space uh, space trading and combat game where I was making uh, quests and stuff. So one of my one of the things I got to do in that job was to describe a bunch of characters. I invented some characters and gave them a loose visual description. And then the people I was working with gave that to an artist that they contracted. And I got to see the artist's, uh, the artist's uh, rendition of a person by the description that I created. And it felt like being a mommy, sort of. <laughs> it was really rewarding. So I thought about that, and then I was like, okay, well, I know Henry Smola is a fantastic 
uh, composer. I love his electronic music, and uh, so I approached him and asked him if he would be interested in uh, making a song for this game, and he said absolutely. So it was okay, a big, it's a real cool dude. He's a very like cool that. dude, and he's a great musician, and I love, the, I absolutely love the music that he made for this. So did Bianca. She's not a big fan of electronic music, but she loved this mm-hmm. song as well. So um, at first I encouraged him to play the game, and I totally empathize with him, because when I was working on this game commercially, I didn't think it was a very good game, and I didn't really want to play it very much. He didn't really want to play my game. So I said, okay, well, here's a few passages from the game. Here's a description of, like, the mood and the tone and what the protagonist is like and what he's trying to accomplish. And here's a bunch of words that kind of describe the tone of the game. And he's like, okay, I can work with that. And so he composed a song that was the same mood and tone as all of the the materials that I had given to him. And it was, like, thematically perfect for what I was trying to uh, convey in the game. It it, it mirrored the tone of the game. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I struggled for a little while and, f- and figured out how to embed, I think I used frames or something, I embedded his uh, SoundCloud player for this song at the top of the screen above my game. And it worked out very well. It's like a looping song, and it's like a good nine or 11 minutes long or so, with this really kind of slow brooding, I don't think there's any percussion in it. It's a really, really good song, very... Uh, very kind of dour and negative and and soothing in a way. It's kind of a depressing song, but it works with the tone of the game. So that was amazing. Um, the same sort of a feeling, giving a vague description of what I was looking for and having him give me something exactly on spec. So that was incredible. I was very, very grateful he would do that for me free of charge. And uh, Yeah, I've read recently, and uh, you might have seen it too, Ron Gilbert. Was it Ron Gilbert? Hmm. Uh, somebody um, posted a, uh, a summary of what it's like running an indie game budget. Oh yeah, they mentioned that uh, like hiring a, a sound composer, a lot of them charge as much, if not more, than like a thousand dollars per minute of audio. Oh yeah, so <laughs> that wow. was like at least eleven thousand dollars worth of work he did for you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No kidding. Jeez, well, I'm real lucky that he did it for free, then. <laughs> yeah, I think it is Ron Gilbert. Uh, he had to... wonder where that post went. Oh, link me if you find it. I'd love to put that in the show notes. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good look at um, what it's like, uh, you know, like running an indie dev studio as far as managing the budget. And it was just one more reason that I knew I would never do this professionally. Sorry. Because that just looks like a fucking nightmare. No kidding. I'm happy enough just, you know, living my life, doing this and that that I need to do to stay alive and occasionally just fucking around making a game, you know? I hear that. Sorry. Just having fun. Trying to find something and I just didn't realize that some of this crap has music embedded in it. You love that song you wrote, don't you? (laughs) Don't worry, I'm I'm definitely putting that in the episode. Oh, goody. You're going to make that the uh, closing theme? No, the intro. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Um... So in relation to what you just said, Anton, um, do you, as a game developer hobbyist, think any differently now when you like consider or review a game about whether it's good or what you write about it, now that you know a little bit more about the effort that goes into it? Mm. I think about that, and I feel like I should. Um, but often when I'm playing a game, I don't think about what it's like to, what it would be like to make it, at least not always. I mean, I always have a general idea, but uh, I'm doing more and more of that lately. I'm trying to, anyway. 
you know, looking at a game on playing it and think, if I made this, how would I do this? How would I set it up? Hmm. And so I haven't really reviewed any games. I've done one um, about three years ago, maybe for, uh, uh, what is it, Sword of the Stars, The Pit. Ah. And that was a good one I liked. Um, but yeah, I haven't reviewed any. I haven't written. I've tried to get a couple of jobs doing reviews, um, and nobody ever gets back to me. Mm-hmm. And so I just haven't really had that experience. Oh, I mean, even if you're talking about a game with somebody, or if you're posting something online, just an opinion, where do you, are you any less likely to leave a negative review about a game now that you know a little bit more about how much effort goes into it? Like if you don't like a game, but there's things that you I like I think about so, it? yeah. Um, kind of makes me think about people I've talked to in Battlefield games. Where they're all just like, oh, this is shit. This doesn't work and this and that. And why can't they just do this? And like, well, where's your game? That's so easy, you know? Where's your freaking list of games? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's one thing so I when understand. it doesn't work at all. But huh? it's, it's one thing when it's completely buggy. For example, the uh, Arkham game that they released where it was completely yeah. unplayable. Oh, yeah. And it's a fair criticism if you can't actually get the game to work. And that was a game with multiple years of a huge team working on it full time. Mm-hmm. So if they, yeah, if that's what comes out of it, such a huge team like that, then a polished game is, is even more. Exactly. It's funny. I just saw this while I was scrolling through Ron Gilbert's thing. It was just a moment after that audio started playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, this tweet I just scroll by, if you're in charge of a website and you're auto-playing videos, you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate that so much. Uh-huh. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, like, uh, I have actually have, uh, now that I think about it, stepped up and defended a lot of indie games because people are always like, oh, another pixie little indie game. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude. Just fucking shut up. Like, I have know. you drawn? How, how, how good are you at drawing? Let's see your pixel drawings first. Let's see you fucking shade as well as this. Let's see, see you do anything but Let's see uh, you code this. Everybody's always critic. just like, oh, pixel game, boo. But they don't make one themselves. I don't yeah. see any games from them. That's right. I, uh, I was trying to provoke a discussion with somebody, but I never got a reply back on uh, PC Gamer's uh, website, they were talking about Steam's relatively new refund policy, and they interviewed some uh, game developers, mostly indie game developers, mm-hmm. about whether two hours is a good amount of time, like a good window to allow refunds. And some of them thought that it was okay, and they said, yeah, like we, we have a very low refund rate. I know that um, Dave Gilbert from Wajedi Games recently posted that last month it was like a 2% refund rate or something, which he was very happy with because a lot of people were worried that it was going to be a huge catastrophe. But then there's the, uh, there's the issue of games that take less than two hours to complete. Is a two-hour refund window still appropriate for that? And some of the developers were saying, no, it should be different for each game. And other people were saying, well, that makes it way too complicated. How do you know whether it's still eligible for a refund? So in one of the comments, somebody said, that if you're making a if you're making a game that's less than two hours, then I'm going to get a refund for it anyway because it's not worthwhile. So I asked the guy, if you have a fantastic 15 minute story to tell, is it a better game if you pad it out with another 105 minutes of of filler? And he said, oh, well, the game designer should just find a way to make it two hours of worthwhile content. 
So I said, okay, give me one example of how you can make a 15 minute, a great 15 minute story equally as good over two hours. So I never heard back, but I was hoping, <laughs> if nothing else, I hope I gave the guy food for thought because I think there's phenomenally good. Oh, thanks for the link. I think there's phenomenally good uh, opportunities for very short games to say really impactful things in a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah, that refunds thing is pretty. Oh, that's pretty a strange. great logo up top with the pixel uh, art. Oh, that's Dave Gilbert's blog. He's the guy who made Monkey Island and a bunch of other stuff. Cool. Still an awesome the logo. Arts. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I, will, I will put this in the show notes. So, um, what else is there for us to talk about with. Uh, game development. Hmm. Do you have anything else? Well, I've only really done uh, the two games from start to finish, although I did try Renpi, Renpa, or whatever it is. I just couldn't get into it. I just didn't like it. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that. The visual, visual novel engine written in Python. Yeah, that's right. It was too Cody for me. Too, too much text input to make anything happen. I was actually drawn to it because it was written in Python. Mm -hmm. and, uh, instead of just going and making a, a visual novel, um, I tried to immediately change it to be uh, a different kind of engine. But then the snake really? bit you. Uh, huh? Didn't but then do the snake it. bit yeah. him. <laughs> okay. Python, snake. Oh, Python. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah. What were you trying to uh, turn it into? Um, I don't know. Something that would be more fun, I thought. More interactive? Visual now. Yeah, more interactive. Something I wanted to code in a, a text input, at least. Hmm. Um, so you could type and kind of treat it more like a mud. Um, I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> but uh, it was just something to do, something to tinker around with, some wasting time, so... Have you ever have you ever heard of an engine called ChoiceScript? Nope. Ah, so this might interest you. There's a company called Choice of Games, and they've made they're sort of like Twine style choose your own adventure games, but they also have like variables and other things that you can keep track of in the background, so that it can be a little bit more like an RPG or a board game or something. Um, that might be kind of up your alley. It's like one or two steps above a visual novel, where it's predominantly text-based stuff. The The main thing that you do is read and then make a choice. But maybe the choice, instead of uh, it being like an X or Y, like an A or B choice, you, you either do this or you do that. It might be, if you make this choice, then you lose three hit points. Or if you make that choice, then you gain $14. And yeah. You can sort of keep a running tally of your different variables in the background to do like a survival game or a story-based game where you can make a few wrong decisions, but... If you make, you know, if you've made two wrong decisions and then you make a third one, then it'll kill you. But if you just make the two, then maybe you're weakened, which changes something else. Uh, the way that you can handle something else. <laughs> pardon, pardon the laughter. Our birds are biting each other. Oh uh, yeah. Stupid. One of our girls looking at the website. The these are all text-based games. Yeah, they are. They have lots of free of games these, and they uh, have lots of paid games. All of these user-made games have like these really nice uh, images used to. You know, like, for the title. Oh, for the covers. Yeah, they do. Although most of them don't have any graphics at all when you get into the game. Or you can embed a, a still image here or there if you want to, but it's optional. I totally recommend... I'll put this in the, this in the show notes. They have a game on their front page called Choice of the Dragon. 
It's like oh, a. Oh, I remember you that. You played that, right? Where yeah. you're a, you're a dragon and. Oh. It, you have like a finite number of hit points through like eight chapters of the game, and you have to like extort or uh, you have to like extort a kingdom into respecting you or fearing you or loving you or something like that. And you can do different things in different ways, and the goal is to survive. But if you get hit, then maybe they damage one of your wings, which means that you fly a little worse, which means that when you get to a point in the story later on, maybe you're not able to do one of the choices because you're too injured in, one, in that specific place. Mm -hmm. Very clever game design. This might appeal to you. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. And I'm always down to check out interesting new engines and stuff. Like that adventure, whatever, adventure game studio. that we had earlier. That was kind of fun to play with, too. Mm-hmm. I really need to get back into AGS. I've done the... I've done half of the tutorial twice. Now, this is a story I could tell, I suppose. I really, really... After I did my text adventure game, I'm like, okay, I want to take it a step further now. I've made one game. Obviously, I'm an expert enough of that whole genre <laughs> that I can move to the next one. So I wanted to learn Adventure Game Studio. So I picked... I downloaded it. It's a free uh, engine for anyone who's curious. It's a free engine. Um, I downloaded it and I started doing the web-based tutorials. And uh, like the tutorial on the web was for a, a version that was uh, like a year or two old. So some of the features and screens were different. So that was okay. I understand that it's a it's a free fan-made project that uh, that uh, isn't going to be uh, updated with the same rigor as a yeah. commercial thing. Um, so one of the problems that I had, though, was that I was doing one of the tutorials and I just could not get the thing to work. And so I kind of squinted my eyes and I used some scrutiny and I looked at the code and I noticed that they had forgotten to close one of the quotation marks in the part that you're supposed to type character for character. So I, I signed onto the forums and I said, hey, I'm doing the uh, tutorial. I just wanted to let you know that there's an error, like there's a typo in the part that you're supposed to type literally. Maybe somebody could change it. And two people replied to me and they were so rude. Oh, I remember uh -huh. this. They were, it was just awful. And he was doing, and it could have, they could have said, you know, oh, we didn't know, or oh, it's supposed to be like that. But they were just complete dickholes. They were super dicks about it. Yeah. They were saying, oh, well, if, you know, even, a, even an idiot would know that that's an error and you should get around it. Like, oh, that's the real tutorials that you should know that it's telling you the wrong thing. Like, fucking whatever. So that, I found that, like, extremely unpleasant. And off-putting? It was very off-putting. So then I quit it for, like, a year. I figured, okay, if this is what the community for this for this engine is like, then I'll just do it with some other engine. Mm -hmm. And I never got around to it. I tried two more, and AGS was by far the easiest one to learn. And I was already having trouble with that. I wasn't going to learn something even more complicated. <laughs> so that dissuaded me for, like, a whole year. And then somebody else who wasn't even part of the thread but had read the thread I found like a month and a half later when I was checking on something, they sent me a private message saying, oh, I'm so sorry. These people were mean to you. You didn't deserve it. You were just trying to help. And then this uh, girl and I got into this conversation and she showed me her first game. And it was this amazing tiny little project in like one room where you're a cat and you fall asleep and you're having dreams and you have these like psychedelic cat dreams. <laughs> it was fantastic. Oh, I that's loved great. It. I wish do you remember where it was? That would be a great thing to see. I, I'm pretty sure I linked to it in a previous show. Yeah. I will. Uh, I'll put it in the notes for this as well. Mm -hmm. It was called Night Night Dreams or something like that. I don't know. As opposed to wet daydreams. <laughs> yes, as opposed to daydreams. That is a thing. Wet dreams. Yes, there you go. <laughs> so that was my that was my my very sad but hurt AGS story. I, I've since gone back to do a little bit more of the tutorial, and once again, I was too impatient and thick to absorb. 
the material. So I have to get back into it, especially now that I've played some other game jam games by some of my buddies uh, from Twitter. And like one in particular. Oh no, what's it called? I think it's called What's in the Box or something by uh, Trolls, who's a friend of the podcast. Hello, Trolls. Probably more voicemails. <laughs> well, it was the, the whole. Trolls I, uh... gave me a box and said, What's in the box? <laughs> I would probably not open it. That's a. <laughs> That, that is probably a very sensible way to go about it. But his game was fantastic. And it was uh, non-standard in terms of AGS. Like for AGS, I think about you have an on-screen animated character and you click somewhere and your character walks over there. But he kind of did it in the Myst style or the HyperCard style where yes. it's, it's like a first-person thing and no matter where in the screen you click, that's where like it'll advance to the next pre-rendered screen. And so he was uh, like an hour and something long and had lots of writing and it was he's a great writer. I love his writing and I love his characters. I, I really need to uh, I, I really need to play that again sometime. I will certainly link to that in my show notes. But that was a humbling thing where I figured Trolls is a smart guy, but he's not smarter than me, is he? If he can do that amazing thing, I can at least Will you stop playing your own song, you freaking narcissist? <laughs> I was trying to do something else. I wanted to see what the fuck I wrote. Well, I heard what the fuck you composed. Sheesh. Okay. <laughs> Trolls ADS game. <laughs> that goes in the show notes. <sighs> okay. I'll just leave this open so I don't have this problem again. Or better yet, here, mute button. You press that mute button. Thank you. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is there anything else for us to really say about hobby, hobby game development? I don't know. You should give me some ideas for my uh, 30 seconds. Oh, let's say, like, what's an idea for a game with a theme of 30 seconds? You, okay. 30 seconds to come up with an idea for a game about a game based on 30 seconds. That's a great idea. <laughs> I don't know how you win that game. Okay, so <laughs> you, you, you have your pizza in the oven, in the, in the kitchen on the other side of the house. And I'll combine this with your other game, except um, you have to, you're, you're sitting on the toilet and you have to come up with the energy to uh, take a piss. And so you have to take a piss and run to the other side of the house to take your pizza out of the oven before the pizza burns. And your cat is in the way. Yeah, there you go. So you have to, you <laughs> have to not, your cat to get out of the way. not piss your pants, not piss on your cat, not get your cat to bite you anywhere where the sun don't shine, and take your pizza out of the oven in 30 seconds before it burns. <laughs> that was horrible. What else we got? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe something with tubas and cats? Tubas and cats. <laughs> okay, so your cat's stuck in your tuba, and you have to go out and play with the orchestra. And you have 30, in 30 seconds, seconds before you're late. Yeah, right. <laughs> you have to go on stage. So you have to pull your cat out of your tuba. Otherwise, you play the tuba on stage, and your cat winds up somewhere in the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can think of one more. 30 seconds. And by the way, folks listening at home, we very, very much encourage you to write us or to come up with a voicemail or something. If you have an idea for a game with a theme of 30 seconds, please share it and we'll pass it along to Anton. We can think of one more, can't we? I'm sure we could. Um... Okay, well, you could have something where you have like uh, a few paragraphs of text and you only have 30 seconds to read it and then you get a quiz on the text <laughs> at the end and you have to say some kind of detail from it. And what? That doesn't sound that, would, like fun. that would actually probably be pretty doable. That's a pretty That's easy one. And so, yeah. what's the context? Why are we doing that? It would be like those. Uh, it'd be like the King's Quest Four. You know, to in order to verify your 
ownership. Look in the manual on this page and for this word. Ooh, so I kind of like the idea. Do of... that, you know, be like, show them a bunch of text and be like, okay, what happened to this character? What was the 17th word on the screen? <laughs> That's a fun game, right? I like the idea of changing, of turning copy protection into a game itself. Yeah. Hmm. 30 seconds to crack the game. That's a really cool idea, actually. 30 seconds? Oh, the king is dictating this information to you, and you have 30 seconds to memorize and tell him exactly what he wants you to do before you have to go off and do it, and you have to, and you have to come back and have it done exactly without him repeating that information. Hmm. But how do we stop the player from copy-pasting? Oh. It would have to be spoken. Yeah, you could have like an audio file or something. You could like make it like a court. But they could record it and then play it back as they type it. This is true. How do you stop someone from cheating in a video game? Yeah, there you go. Oh, no. Shame him kingly style. Shame him kingly style. Wait, you cut his head off? You make fun of him for... Make him you make a eunuch. Lord Barris. Make him Lord Barris. Make him a total eunuch. <laughs> Nerd. You and your Game of Thrones. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're a nerd if you knew who Lord Varys was, considering he's not a major character. Is he like Lord Vader? Does he have a glowing sword? No, he's a eunuch with a bald head. Oh. And he has... And he ha and Lord he Vader has a bald head. He looks like Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, except he's got a helmet on and he breathes heavily. He's also got a bald face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know where else he's bald or wears helmets, but... I'll leave that to the imagination. <laughs> okay, well, maybe we can call that a day then. Ends it on a penis joke. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Anton, it was awesome to uh, talk to you. Thank you so, so much for coming on the yeah. show. Thanks for inviting me. That was pretty cool. We're unexpected. Oh, my pleasure. You're a natural. This is a lot of fun. Um, is there anything that uh, you'd like to plug or tell people how to get in touch with you or anything before we uh, sign off? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Antonimity. All right. And, uh, you probably will have to spell that. <laughs> I will do that. I'll put that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. would yeah, you, that's pretty much it. Um, would you be open to me uh, giving links to some of the games you've mentioned that you wrote? Yeah, if I wanted to Neo Scavenger, that was really awesome. Oh, yeah, right. The, the, yeah, that'll definitely oh, go and, in there. Uh, if you want to go to uh, empgames.itchio.io. <laughs> I have a couple of my games up there, and I'll be adding some more. EMP games? Yeah. Like a electromagnetic pulse? Yeah, but that's not what it stands for. Oh. What does it stand for? Can't tell you. Oh. It's a secret. I see. Yes. Evil monkeys... Oh, a secret. <laughs> Evil monkeys peeing. I must not tell you my plan. <laughs> I see. All right, that's very mysterious. Yeah. Cool. Um, all I have right there is a number slide game and the Helen Keller, the platformer. Okay. That I really got to see. I can't wait to check yeah, it out. Yeah, you can check it out. You can download it. Right on. I shall. All right. Well, Anton, thank you so, so much for coming on to the show. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. As always, we very much welcome your feedback. You can reach us on the web, squarefm.demodulated.com, by email, squarefm.demodulated.com, and on Twitter, we are at squarewavesfm. So, from Bianca and Anton and I, we thank you all very, very much for listening, and uh, stop playing the bloody harmonica, you twat. Thank <laughs> God, a jerk. <laughs> I don't know if that was... Anyway.
that was another good note to leave off on. Thank you very much, everybody. Love you lots, and uh, have a good week. Bye-bye.